You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe, and I'm very excited because this week we are talking about two classic action movies from John Woo, The Killer and Hard Boiled. Uh, Tell me talk about these movies as a man you may know from his frequent work on the Dana Buckler show or as the host of his own Adkins Undisputed podcast, which is all about the films of Scott Adkins uh, or his many other various podcast appearances. He's one of my favorite people to talk movies with. It's Mike Scott, everybody. Mike, how you doing? I am doing great, man. So happy to be back here. Um, I, I really am stoked to talk these movies. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited to be back on because we were just talking before uh, we started recording here about like it had been a while and in the podcast world, time kind of gets away from you. And I was like, oh, you haven't been on since November for the Van Damme episode. So we are long overdue for another conversation. And like I said, I love talking movies with you. And uh, these two movies specifically, I was thinking today, I've I've been a fan for like almost 20 years at this point, and I've never really had anyone to like sit down and talk about them with. So this is very exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, I, I absolutely love, you know, I have been long on record that my two favorite directors are Sam Raimi and John Woo. And so getting to actually talk John Woo is, uh, which is something that I've never, other than a brief recommendation on the 20th Century Movie Club, uh, is something that I've never really gotten to do. So I am I am jazzed. I am pumped. Awesome. I was going to ask you if you had a chance to talk about John Woo these movies before, so it sounds like uh, this will be, will be a, a good opportunity. So, <laughs> yeah, no, this is really exciting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I've, talk to you like in person we talk over twitter all the time and uh, through our like little chat group uh, discord thing but uh so i'm kind of curious like what kind of stuff you've been watching lately kind of movies you've been watching <laughs> so unfortunately most of what i've been watching lately has been podcast prep <laughs> uh which isn't unfortunate but i mean I, it's uh so i i do have a couple of things i want to talk about e- even though they are for podcasts. The first one I want to mention is as of recording this, uh, we just all participated in Patrick Bromley's birthday uh, Twitter celebration. And uh, I got to tell you, I, I only got to watch three of the movies. Uh, and the one that I hadn't seen was Viva Las Vegas. And I was absolutely like blown away by how much fun I had watching Viva. <laughs> Las Vegas. I, I can't remember because I know you were in and out a bit, Matt. I can't remember if you had watched that one or not. 
sadly, I had to step out after the first movie and Viva Las Vegas was the second movie. I had stuff to do all day. I have so many friends and family with birthdays around this time. Yesterday was my roommate's birthday. <laughs> so I literally only got to watch uh, the first movie. And then I was seeing the tweets for Viva Las Vegas, everybody. And I was so jealous. It seemed like so much fun. <laughs> so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely loved it. So I'm I'm a decent sized Elvis fan. Um, I've been to Graceland. Uh, I I like a lot of his music. I'm certainly not an Elvis, you know, aficionado. Um, but one thing that I have never really done is watched many of his movies. I've seen Jailhouse Rock, and I really liked that one. Uh, but I had never gotten around to seeing this one. So the fact that, you know, Patrick picked it for his birthday was was pretty terrific. And it is so much fun. I know, Matt, you're not the biggest musical guy. So uh, that might that might dissuade you a little bit. But it's just Elvis and Anne Margaret have such great chemistry. Uh, I feel like the movie bogs down a little bit in sort of the second act. I, I think it starts really strong for about the first 40 minutes or so. And then it bogs down for about a half an hour, a little bit. And then uh, it ends with this race scene and it is shockingly like hardcore. Like oh. <laughs> it is a shockingly hardcore uh, race car scene uh to to kind of end the movie uh lots of practical stunt work lots of cars going off of cliffs and turning over and and stuff like that and it's uh it's a lot of fun i really i really recommend it i think people should definitely check it out if they haven't seen it uh and, and really should just check out elvis movies in general because the man, if nothing else, the man was just a hurricane of charisma. There's just no <laughs> question about that. Yeah, my mom is a huge Elvis fan, and uh, I'm surprised I've never really seen one of his movies because I know she's watched them. I probably uh, left the room or something, <laughs> but but uh, she loves Elvis. So I, I, it was funny. I was thinking of this because like if you're if I couldn't watch the movie, so I'm out. I'm kind of checking Twitter from time to time and seeing tweets without any much context. <laughs> and if I just took the tweets that were for Viva Las Vegas, like I, it looked the most entertaining movie of all time because it was like all these crazy things happening. Uh, they made the ending sound completely insane with this, the, all this car stuff going on. I won't say too much, but it sounded like it was kind of chaotic and it, it, it and Margaret was talked about a lot. <laughs> it was like, yeah, the thirst, the thirst for Ann Margaret <laughs> was strong. It was strong. I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, persuaded to watch it just by all the the tweets i saw i was like oh my god this movie sounds kind of insane i kind of want to see it now <laughs> so yeah might... like i said i really recommend it it's it's on hbo max i i think it's definitely worth worth checking out absolutely yeah it's almost my mom's birthday i should offer to watch an elvis movie with her or something <laughs> might be a good idea <laughs> Based on what Patrick said, I would recommend this one. He kind of said that most Elvis movies are just like uh, dollar store copies of this one. So this is yeah. really kind of the best one. If you're going to watch one, this is probably the best one to watch. OK, interesting. I will. I think I will check it out now because I'm just curious after what everyone was talking about. I was like, I got to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was the it was the it was the one when I saw on the list that I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to watch that one. And then I was like, you know what? I should just, I should watch it. And, you know, 
it's a common hashtag during F this movie fest or Patrick's birthday, you know, hashtag he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows what he's doing, man. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's proven it. So <laughs> I keep trusting him. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. What, uh, what else you got besides, uh, besides, uh, Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> so this one, this one is, was, is for podcast prep, but I am going to take the opportunity to talk about this movie as much and as often as I can from here on out, because, uh, I am kind of now of the opinion that there are two stages in my life. There is before I saw five element ninjas and there is after I saw five element ninjas. And nice. <laughs> uh, so for those who don't know five element ninjas or five elements ninjas, depending on uh, the titling uh, is a 1982 Shaw brothers movie directed by uh, the great Chang chat. And it is one of the most bonkers awesome martial arts movies i've ever seen matt have you ever seen this movie mike i was so shocked when you posted on twitter that you had not seen this yet because i thought to myself i've seen a, a martial arts movie before mike scott because i did see <laughs> i did see this movie last summer during june's quotation prep this movie uh I'm, I'm assuming on martial arts day um it was on prime or something i just watched it and i had a blast with it i was like this is so much fun it's like it's just a a very fun creative concept like it's it was i had yeah i had a blast that movie i really liked it it's it's so much fun you know the way all the 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 different elemental ninjas are and and one of the things that i really love about shaw brothers movies is they're you know for those who don't know shaw brothers had this massive studio in hong kong kind of like pinewood in in england and in atlanta now and they shot all their movies on mostly sound stages. And so everything has this really stagey look that I love because it lends an almost comic booky kind of feel to a lot of their movies um, that, that you don't get in many other. I mean, Shaw Brothers movies just have such a distinctive look and, and I love it. And then you couple that with, the way we've got these these you know ninjas that are masters of the five elements, which I one of which is gold. I was unaware that gold was an element. <laughs> apparently, it is. You know, and, and and their strong look, and then also Chang Chad being known for just being the bloodiest filmmaker. But it's also again, it's that nineteen seventies, uh, you know bright red blood and so the colors and everything are just it's actually funny i tweeted watching viva las vegas that i was like this looks like a shaw brothers movie and i love it because they're both very stagey with very bright colors but still so much energy and so much fun um i yeah i i i thought i had seen it uh years ago it turns out i had not and i am uh, mad that I have gone uh, 44 years without having seen Five Element Ninjas. There's lots of years I could have had this movie in my life, Matt, and I'm very mad <laughs> that I just discovered it now. Listen, I, you know what? It's it's in your life now. You can go back to it. It's it's <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it took me like 32 years to see that movie, and I, I had the kind of same reaction. I'm, well, first of all, it was like, why haven't I seen this, and why don't I watch more? martial arts movies and like Shaw Brothers stuff specifically because I'm kind of notorious for this where I will feel like I kind of 
know uh, a little about a lot of way to put it. Cause like, I feel like I've watched like documentaries on Shaw brothers or read about Shaw brothers, but seen so few of their actual movies that I could totally know what you're talking about. But I'm like, I don't, I can't reference many of the movies, but, um, but yeah, I, that look of the five million ninja is so good. Uh, it's got this kind of like fake, uh, I mean, it sounds bad to say fake, but it's got this very kind of like otherworldly, clearly on a set, basically. It's very otherworldly feel, the bright red blood. It's all very like, over the top. Um, but that's actually, I think, a good one for people that are um, kind of like trying to get into martial arts or kung fu movies, because I feel like it's just so wild and so much fun and like never boring i feel like it doesn't stop for anything like it just yeah, there's it, so much action in it there <laughs> is so much action in it it's it's crazy how much <laughs> it's yeah it's great i had so much fun with that now you're making me want to rewatch it again so i uh, i think i need to go back to it <laughs> yeah you should it's one i'm going to be going back to very frequently it actually so for years my favorite shaw brothers movie was one called the another Chang Chao one called the crippled avengers which <laughs> I, I i love it's so much fun uh but this actually has has leapt above that one as as my favorite shaw brothers movie i i was just over the moon with this thing um and it's it is one of those funny things about you know being an action guy and my brand is action or or what have you however you want to describe it but there's so many of these movies especially you know 70s and 80s martial arts movies that while i'm relatively well versed i'm always discovering like classics that i just haven't seen yet and, and this is one of them because you know you'd seen it before i had a couple other friends reach out to me that were like how have you not <laughs> seen this movie before um which i guess is you know it is what it is right that's why we love movies we're always trying to discover you know not everything's all about watching the brand newest release it's always so fun to discover some older movie that that everybody you feel like everybody knows is great and you watch it and you're like, Oh yeah. You know what? It's freaking great. <laughs> like they're yeah. not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the joys of being like a avid movie watcher. Like you're always on the hunt for like finding these kind of gems and yeah, like you said, especially older stuff. Cause like newer stuff, we're kind of all aware of at the same time. Now we're all checking out at the same time, but you kind of go back and dig up something that's like, you know, 20 30 40 years old and you're like oh my god this movie i've never seen but heard about like i just mentioned a few episodes ago i saw like it's not even that old but i saw gladiator for the first time and it's one of those movies where it's so big and was so popular and it's so kind of weird when you see movies like that because then you kind of come back to people and you're like hey guys have you seen gladiator and they're like yeah matt we saw it 20 years ago <laughs> like it's pretty good <laughs> you know it's one of those things where you have to bring it up like oh yeah i just saw this famous great movie and then it's like it's great you know it's a good feeling but it's kind of it's kind of funny when you that but then when you find these things that feel like no one talks about is also another thing where you're like why are people not talking about that, that this that much you know yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean it's it's that constant it's that constant need to sort of chase to use a, a bad term but to chase the dragon right you're, yeah. you're constantly <laughs> trying to because when you find a movie like like i really wish people could have seen this and you know you know me well enough to know matt i'm not the most jovial cat on the face of the earth like smiling <laughs> is not something that i do on a fairly regular basis <laughs> i wish people could have seen the ear to ear friggin grin i had on my face <laughs> during 
five element ninjas. Like it was just like, I swear to God, it was a movie made just for me. Like they were in (laughs) 1982. They were like, there's this four year old white kid in Salt Lake city, Utah, and he might not watch this immediately, but when he watches it, he's going to get it. He's going to love what we're doing here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, no, exactly. We were talking about it's, it's fantastic. And it's kind of funny because the two movies we're going to talk about when I found those, when I was younger, that was like a moment where I'm like, holy shit, you know, this is, <laughs> this is a game changer. So, um, both not worry that we get there, but yeah, I love that feeling of you find something and it just, you know, knocks your socks off. It's just like, I'm constantly chasing that, like, um, just trying to find things I haven't seen and, and hoping they hit that. Well, you know, it's just, it's, it's a great feeling. I, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is why we do, why we watch the movies that we watch always mm-hmm. looking for that. Yep. <laughs> oh, can you can you top five element ninjas? Do you have any other ones to talk about? <laughs> I have one more and okay. it's not going to top it. I just I don't want my brand to be completely only action. So I do want to bring up that in spite of the fact that it's two years old, I finally did watch Frozen 2 this week. <laughs> um, so it's important for people to know that I absolutely adore Frozen. It is in my top five Disney favorite Disney movies of all time. And I am a big Disney nerd. I'm not just about people getting kicked in the face. I am a (laughs) Disney nerd. Uh, And because I love Frozen so much, I kind of just kept putting off watching Frozen 2 because I just didn't really feel like Frozen was a movie that needed a sequel. Um, And for the most part, I think I was right. I Mm -hmm. I don't think Frozen 2. I don't know, Matt, have you seen Frozen 2? I, I have not. I uh, I did see Frozen 1. I was taken to that by a girl I was dating at the time, and I ended up liking it way more than I thought I would. <laughs> like, I was getting pretty into it. I was like, Frozen's pretty good, but I have not followed up with, uh, with Frozen 2 at all. <laughs> Frozen's absolutely brilliant. Like, Frozen is, I would argue, almost a perfect movie. I, and I will, people right now are like, Turn in your action cards. (laughs) I I don't give a shit. Frozen is brilliant. Frozen 2 is enjoyable enough, but it 100% suffers from sequelitis. Oh. mm -hmm. Everything (laughs) is bigger and louder and faster and more of it. And none of it's as good. The, The songs, there's a couple that are are pretty good, uh, but they don't rise to the level, you know, I mean. I I can literally my wife and I will literally just at some point somebody will say, do you want to? And the other one will go build a snowman. <laughs> like, there's nothing in Frozen 2 that is that memorable that's oh. going to stick with you that way um, or the way nobody can say let it go anymore without mm-hmm. some let it go. <laughs> you know, it it's fine. There's some pretty good action. There are a couple of decent songs. Uh Edina Menzel and uh, Kristen Bell are great again as uh, Anna and Elsa. But for the most part, if you're a big fan of Frozen, this is eminently skippable. It's not awful. You're not going to hate it, but it is eminently skippable. Fair enough. Fair enough. And also, I want to clarify, I did not... (laughs) I was not laughing at you picking Frozen 2. I laughed at the, you said, I'm going to go off brand. And you went so far off brand. And I wasn't expecting it. 
Like, yeah, no, I know. I'm a dude. I am a super Disney nerd. Like, well, this this actually people who know me, this shouldn't surprise them because <laughs> I'm very upfront with how much I like musical theater and musicals mm-hmm. and dance movies. So it's like it really shouldn't be that much of a stretch, you know, for people to realize that I also like Disney movies. Um but yeah, I, I wanted to do I wanted to do well, A, first of all, I haven't actually watched that many movies and uh I wanted to do the 180 of five element ninjas <laughs> to frozen two. Oh she Elsa could have been part of the five element ninja to get thrown some ice out there, some some water element coming out. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, and that was the other thing that was cracking me up is it it's so much, you know, I'm also a big fan of Avatar the Last Airbender and so much of Frozen 2 just felt like that because there's the, you know, uh Elsa is there's the elements in the forest and then she's the one that unites all of the elemental spirits basically the same way Korra does in The Legend of Korra and so it's one of those movies that was part of the biggest problem for me with it was I always have a hard time when I'm watching a movie and it's reminding me of another movie or mm-hmm. TV show that I would rather be watching. And, and once that happens, a movie tends to lose me. It, it's one of the few ways a movie can really lose me is if you just make me think about something else, I'd rather be watching. Um, Ooh, and yeah, Frozen, yeah. Two, Frozen 2 kind of did that. Like I said, it's not bad. It's very professionally done. It's entertaining enough, but it just is. It ain't Frozen. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I was going to say, it was like, uh, it's funny because yeah, this could be the podcast where you come on and get off brand. Of course, I brought you back to talk about two more action movies. <laughs> and I'm like, next time I should bring back Mike for like, because I know you like comedies and musicals and other stuff. We got to do something like way out of the, the box for you next time on the show. <laughs> I, I desperately do want somebody. I don't know if you want to because I know <laughs> you don't. But I desperately do want somebody to ask me to come on a podcast and talk about all five step up movies. Because, oh, my God, do I love the step up franchise. I love the step up franchise as much as I love the Undisputed franchise. So. Wow. That's that's big. That's big that you that that really makes me think maybe I should watch a step up movies. I wow, man, you've you've talked about them before on Twitter, and I thought, Jesus, maybe Mike's onto some of these these step up movies. I might need to watch these. <laughs> like, you, you've almost sold me on movies I would never have even thought about watching. So uh, you know what, I I might do what I'll let you know if I watch the first one at least and see how that goes. <laughs> Well, and unfortunately, I will tell you this. In my opinion, the first one's actually the worst one. Oh, man. what I would what I would actually recommend is start with Step Up Three. Okay, and and <laughs> you can if you if you like that one, you can go back and watch one and two, and then finish out the series. But I, I think Step Up Three is Step Up Three is the undisputed three of the Step Up franchise. It's the one where everything finally all comes together in a perfect harmony. Okay. All right. All right. This I'm. You know what? I trust your opinion. Uh, this might happen now. I because I I was like no, but I, it's funny because I'm impressed by really amazing dancing, just like I'm impressed by really seeing really amazing action in movies. You know, because I can't dance worth anything. So it's like any of that. I'm like, oh, that is really impressive, but. Um, I don't know. You might, I'll let you know if I watch it. I, I, I really might do it now. <laughs> Please do, man. Do okay. it. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> um, anything else you want to talk about? Or just those three? <laughs> no, I think those three are good. Okay. Okay. And I got three as well. I had to really had to dig because I had the same issue with like 
that's for a podcast coming up or that's for a podcast or I talked about this. So, um, but actually to kind of follow up on where you started, uh, the first one I was going to talk about was the first movie in Patrick's birthday marathon yesterday, which was Joe Dante's Looney Tunes back in action. Um, from 2003, I think. Um, and Mike, I forgot you. So you weren't there for that when you started with people, Las Vegas. No, I was there for back in action. Oh, you were. Okay. Okay. Uh, man, I had never seen that before. And that movie is so much fun. <laughs> like just jokes and references flying out uh, a mile a minute. Um, Dante really gets like what the Looney Tunes are all about. I feel like, and you know, I was this kid who loved space jam. I don't think space jam holds up. <laughs> uh as an adult but you watching back in action yesterday i was like well this movie is still funny and gets the looney tunes i think way better than than space jam did honestly and i I had so much fun watching that movie i i thought it was just a blast so i had actually seen this one in the theater and uh and so this was and i've seen it a handful of times since um space jam is one of my favorite movie going experiences for reasons I won't get into uh, family drama. And that was the oh. movie I went to see to get away from family drama. Um, but mostly I think that's because I was a Michael Jordan fan. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a very good movie and it's really not a very good Looney Tunes movie. Looney Tunes back in action is a fantastic fantastic looney tunes movie like it is everything you just said i completely agree with and on top of that you have brendan frazier just committing 100 percent to everything that is happening in this bananas movie that he's agreed to start <laughs> and and it's it was it was again patrick knows what he's doing it was a great way to start off the fest I was super happy that a lot of it was a lot of people like you who are like first time viewers because, yeah, the movie plays. The movie is just it's hilarious and it's terrific. And if you like the Looney Tunes, it's it's almost just I don't I almost don't know how you could do a better Looney Tunes movie than back in action. Yeah, that. Yeah. Good point. I don't know what how you could do it better. And that's a good point about Brendan Fraser and really most of the like human cast, everyone seems pretty committed to the bit, which is pretty important. You know, it's like, I always think of like Michael Caine and the Muppet Christmas Carol, where I'm reading, he was like so committed to the bit. He's like, I'm going to play to the Muppets like they're real people. I'm not going to play down to them. And it kind of feels like Brendan Fraser and Jenna Elfman, everybody's having fun. Like they're, they're not, they're not playing. I don't know, like playing down or stupid. Like they're just, they're just all in. They're just all in the whole thing. (laughs) There's not a hint of irony in the movie. Nobody (laughs) involved in the movie is being ironic. Everybody. And and I think that that comes from Dante down because anybody that's seen gremlins too knows how much Dante loves the Looney Tunes, right? Like Mm -hmm. Joe Dante is the live action Chuck Jones, you know, in (laughs) another world, Dante might've been working in animation doing as Chuck Jones or Tex Avery. Like he loves those guys so much. And it just shows in this movie, it, 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 it wears it's, it's love of the source material, just big and proud on its sleeve. And, and I think it's just, it's a great for people who didn't who are listening who didn't watch it this weekend. It's it's on HBO Max. Like check it out. Absolutely watch it because it's delightful. 
<laughs> yes, it, it's a great way to start your day. That's I mean, that's how they started the, the whole thing. And yeah, you're right. It was a great choice to get you know, if it flies by. I mean, it's like 90 minutes, but it's like the fastest 90 minutes you could imagine. <laughs> it's, uh, it's incredible. It's so much fun. <laughs> so, um, OK, so next one, I actually just watched this today. Uh, I don't have too much to say, but it's a movie that it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not sure it falls under the having not seen that yet, but it, it's I've heard a lot about it. It's the last Starfighter from 1984. Have yep. you, yeah, I'm sure oh, you've yeah. seen this, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, I saw it. I saw it in theaters in 1984. This was this was one of my favorite movies as a kid. I absolutely mm. I built a whatever their gunship the ship is i built one of those out of legos it i built it poorly but in my <laughs> mind i knew it was it was the last starfighter ship <laughs> and that's all that matters it's like i know what this is and man yeah what a delight is all i kept thinking like and it's so like refreshingly simple for this kind of like sci-fi uh, kind of action movie they don't get bogged down in like any kind of too much world building or any kind of cra- it's like it's just like you know, it's very simple. It's like, hey, you're really good at this video game. Guess what? That's how we're recruiting people to go fight these bad guys in space. Come on. Okay, now you got to come back as the last one. Cool. Let's fight. It's like, it's not, <laughs> there's no like, we don't go into like the bad guy's backstory that deeply or even the, the good alien's backstory. It's just like, hey, you're getting pulled in this conflict. Here we go. And again, like a very like fast moving, just fun movie. I know I would have absolutely loved it if I'd seen it as a kid. I still loved it today, but I was like, man, this probably would have been one of my favorites if I'd seen it when I was younger. But just such a fun, just a nice kind of like light movie. I really, really had fun with it. I'm glad I finally watched it. Yeah, man, I'm I'm glad you did too. I didn't know you hadn't seen it. So I'm I'm glad <laughs> you watched it because I, yeah, I think it's I I probably haven't watched it in years. Maybe 12 years um i think i watched it when the first blu-ray came out because it's been released on blu-ray a couple of times oh yeah (laughs) um and uh so maybe 10 years ago but i thought it held up i thought the special effects were charmingly quaint now but Mm -hmm. i could see that turning some people off um that's where i do think where it does hold up now is if you have kids show them the last starfighter early because there, there are some creepy scary parts, but for the most part, it's a movie designed for kids show them because kids don't. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't care about special effects. I didn't, you know, I, I, I had a hard time distinguishing from, Mm -hmm. you know, Godzilla (laughs) guys in rubber suits and star Wars. Like I knew they were different. (laughs) I didn't care. I was a kid. Um, and, and I think that's where last starfighter would really play well as if, you know, you had kids show them this movie early because it's, and, and I think for adults, it still holds up, but I love that you pointed out how simple it is. We got good alien civilization. We got bad alien civilization. That's all we need to know. Yep. <laughs> we know the bad guys are bad because they look creepy and scary and the good guys are good because the music man is one of them, you know? And so like, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so it just, and then you've got, you know, Lance guest basically playing your, your bog standard Luke Skywalker. But right. <laughs> the reason that, storyline works is because it works uh, we go back to it because it works and i've one of those people that always I, I i really don't like the criticism of something is cliched because cliches exist or tropes as we call them now uh they exist for a reason 
and they exist because they work. And so when somebody's saying, I don't like this trope or I don't like this cliche, what they're really saying is, I don't like how it was executed mm-hmm. because <laughs> the cliche, I can find you a movie or 10 that you will like if you think it's cliched. Last Starfighter is incredibly troperific, but it is also impeccably well executed as far as using those tropes, using those cliches. Um, I, I think it's it's terrific. Yeah, and as somebody you watch it for the first time, just to tell you, it it holds up. I think I, I you know I just think no, it's like especially yeah, the more modern stuff I watch, and they get so bogged down in like all this stuff that no one really cares about. And I watch Last Starfighter, I'm like, oh, thank God, it's just like simple setup simple story and it just works like it feels earnest like it's very um it's it's yeah it's just no winking at the camera like it's just it's just a good solid movie and it's sometimes that's also a great find where you're just like this is just a good movie you know what i mean i don't need to be a five-star classic it's just a good solid movie i never saw before and i'm glad i watched it (laughs) so um yes that was kind of one that i was like i need to see this movie because everyone's said good things about it for years i just hadn't got around to it i bought that blu-ray for like five bucks on amazon so uh yeah it paid off (laughs) it's like that was a good buy um so last thing i will mention uh is kind of random but like uh so me and my sister we mentioned that she was on the orphan episode and we were talking about how we always will end up we're like big horror fans and we're like the only horror fans that each of us know uh for the most part so we always watch horror movies together and had to go to the theater for a while so I was like, oh, you somehow we talked about I need you need to see the Scream sequels. You'd only seen the original Scream, not the sequels. Um, and we've slowly, slowly making our way through the Scream sequels. And like three months ago, we watched Scream 2. <laughs> and I said, we should probably watch Scream 3 now. And I, that was the first time I watched Scream 3 for the first time in like, I don't know, forever. Uh, I think I like it more than most people, <laughs> but it's still my least favorite of the four. But I still I still enjoy it. Like the whole idea of they're filming a movie and they're on a movie set is always kind of, that always kind of appeals to me in a movie when it's like a movie within a movie. Um, but it does kind of feel like things are starting to wear thin a little bit on screen three. It's kind of like, Oh, but we're doing this again. But, but I still, I, I still enjoy it. I still have fun with it. Um, Mike, I don't know your thoughts on screen three, but <laughs> so I actually don't know why screen three gets the hate that it gets. Um, I'm, I'm a, weird one in that (laughs) scream two is actually my least favorite um when i mentioned that to risky was on the 20th century movie club and recommended scream two and he's like what and i'm like yeah i don't want to bog down it's your recommendation i'm not going to get into all the ways i don't like scream two um which isn't to say that i don't I still like it. Like I don't, it's not like I skip it when I rewatch scream. It's just, there's some things in it that really rub me the wrong way. Um, scream three, I think is a lot better than people give it credit for. I agree with you, especially as somebody who, who saw it opening night. Um, I agree with you that the formula was wearing thin by the time we got to it. And I'm not sure that uh scott foley was necessarily you know i i don't dislike scott foley but so much of his casting just screams weinstein's mandating the you know young heartthrob from uh felicity uh be be in this movie which is you know i mean all the scream movies were basically all that anyway but um he doesn't I think Carrie, I, I guess I should say spoilers for a, you know, like a 21 year old movie. <laughs> um, 
Um, he doesn't carry the same menace that, say, Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard did in the first one or uh, Laurie Metcalf and especially Timothy Oliphant in, in the second one. Uh, but I still think there's a lot of good stuff in it. And for me, I'm kind of one of those guys that's just like, man, I don't I watch the Scream movies for Sidney Prescott. I watch the mm-hmm. Scream movies for Nev Campbell and. She just friggin' rules in all four of those movies. Yes. And so yeah. I don't care. I think they're all good because Sydney rules, Nev Campbell rules, and that's really all I need to enjoy a Scream movie. That's actually kind of why I, I only watched the first season of the TV series, and I thought it was pretty good, but I'm like, no, I need my Sid. Sid's why... Sid, like... Scream's such an interesting horror series because for me, it's one of the few horror franchises where I feel like the hero is why I'm watching the movies. And so having something Scream related without Sydney is kind of like having a Superman movie without Superman, right? Like, (laughs) because I'm watching it for Sydney, not for the killers. Um, unlike your Friday the 13th and your Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, Sid's the draw for me. I, I agree 100%. And that's funny because we were watching it, or after we watched it, me and my sister were talking again about how good Nev Campbell is as Sydney. And she's so good. She's still so good in Scream 3. Like, And it's funny because I feel like her character is even uh, to the point <laughs> at the end where she feels like she's over this, you know what I mean? She's like fed up and she's kind of like, I heard all this shit before, you know, she's like, we've been through this. Like I'm tired of this bullshit. Uh, I kind of love her in three. Cause she just is so over it. She has to like retreat again, the movie. She's like living in isolation. Um, and when she kind of comes back out, I feel like by the end, she's just like enough of this bullshit. <laughs> Cause she's so take charge, in, like all the movies, but it's just, yeah, I, I love her. I can't imagine a screen movie without her. That's I'm a little worried about the new screen movie. Cause I think her, Courtney Cox, David Arquette are all coming back. And I, every movie since like, you know, probably since after two, I'm like, one of them is going to die and they've somehow made it this far. But I'm like, I don't want to go see a movie where Sydney gets killed. Honestly, I'm going to be pissed if that happens. <laughs> I have had arguments on Twitter with people about this that, yeah, if you, if you do a scream and you kill Sydney Prescott, that is a deal breaker for me. If you don't want to bring her back, that's fine. I don't have a problem. It, it, it's it, it it's gonna automatically make it Halloween Resurrection. Like mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> Halloween Resurrection is a shitty movie. I can't remember, Matt. Can we swear on your podcast? Oh yeah, we're good. Yeah yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go Halloween <next>. Resurrection <laughs> is a shitty movie, but it's especially shitty because they kill off Laurie Strode. Oh, like yeah. like you don't like fuck you. Like, do not do that. And and if they do that in the new scream, they bring Sid back and they kill her off. It is just going to be an absolute deal breaker for me. I mean, I don't want to say I can I can envision a world where they craft a story in which she, you know, heroically goes down swinging that might be emotionally fulfilling and cathartic. But Boy, that's a real thin line that you're trying to thread there. And you better be, you know, John Carpenter good if you're going to try and uh, if you're going to try and pull that off. 
yeah, yeah. I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. It could be. It could be great. I don't know. I I was worried about Scream Four, and I really like Scream Four. I think Scream Four is like my second favorite behind the original, honestly. So maybe it'll surprise me. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of yeah, I'm kind of with you. I you know I was never that big a fan of two as many as other people were either. Like I was never that into it as everyone else was. Like I think it's good, but I, I feel like some people. I heard people say it's better than the first one, which I. I can't get on board with it, but, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm usually happy watching any of the four. So, you know, yeah, we'll, they're all, yeah. they're all good. The one thing I will say is I think two is the only one of the four where Sid acts like a blithering idiot for significant oh. portions of the movie. Uh, <laughs> and that's actually part of the reason that it bothers me. There's a, a, a the scene in the car when they have Ghostface knocked out. And instead of like ripping off his mask and doing something to detain him, they're trying to like crawl over him. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just like, this is Friday. And when I say this, know that I, I write or die for Friday the 13th, but I'm like, this is Friday the 13th shit. Come on. <laughs> smarter than this. Like, what are you doing? What are we, what are we even doing here? Scream. You are smarter than this. And I, I can literally hear your listeners right now like furiously <laughs> typing on the keyboard to tell me that I'm wrong. Um, but that's fine. That, that is what it is. No, you're right. I remember because my sister had seen Scream 2. We watched it. She was so like angry at that scene. She was getting like, she was like, what are you doing? You know, I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like just yelling at the screen, like just at an anger of like the stupidity. of. And I agreed. I was like, this is makes no logical sense to do anything they're doing right now in that in that car scene with like in the police car uh it's just yeah oh it's yeah good point about that because <laughs> usually she acts like she knows what she's doing but two it's like gets a little weird so i don't know but um but yeah that's <laughs> that's screen talk so a <laughs> uh, little scream tangent there but um okay so the reason we are here to talk about some john woo uh, the killer in Hard World specifically, uh, although I think <laughs> I said beforehand this might turn into kind of like a a bigger John Woo discussion, a bigger action discussion. Wherever it goes, it's cool. I'm just happy to talk action with you. So, but I will start here. So, do you remember how you were introduced to John Woo and like the first John Woo movie that you saw? Yeah. So the first John Woo movie that I saw was The Killer. Um, one of the perks of living in Salt Lake City, Utah, is it is the home of the Sundance Film Festival. Uh-huh. And in <laughs> 1990, The Killer played at Sundance. Now, I didn't see it at Sundance. I was a child. Uh, <laughs> but it it became a fairly big thing that was talked about. And uh, there is a a small community theater, you know, uh, uh, rep film theater here called the tower that used to rent um what they would do it it's it, it's not legal what they used <laughs> to do but it was great is they would import uh chinese laser discs and mm-hmm. then they would dub them to vhs tapes and then they would rent out the vhs tapes that way if the vhs wore out wore out they'd just re-record it and and rent it and so you know you're renting bootlegs but they did buy i mean they did buy the original source disc and and at that time that was the only way you could see those movies here in in utah at least right (laughs) and i had already discovered jackie chan and so i was already dipping my toes into it and they got the killer 
uh, and they had the killer for rent from one of these Chinese laser discs. And so I rented it and and I had seen trailers for it because they had actually had a screening of it for a while, but I, I couldn't go. And so I rented it and watched it and was just. I mean, it, it's kind of like I said about five element ninjas jokingly this is serious there was a point in my life that was pre-john woo and a point that was post-john woo and uh seeing the killer was just that it absolutely blew me away uh what i was seeing at that point because i i had already seen some things where Wu's influence was being felt in Western movies like rapid fire and stuff like that. So this would have been maybe like 1992. I feel like I saw the killer Mm -hmm. and then I just went back and I got over the space of a week. I rented every John Wu movie. So I got a better tomorrow. I got a better tomorrow too. Um, I got hard boiled, uh, which then Shortly after that, the tower had a screening of, so I was able to see Hard Boiled on the big screen. I got Bullet in the Head. Like, I just, I mm. absorbed every John Woo movie I could get my hands on. That sounds like a great week of movies. If you rented all those at one time, that's like, yeah, oh, it was, man. It was like a week, maybe two. It was, it was a pretty quick, because uh, luckily I had parents who were into it too. And so... Because I couldn't drive in in 1991, 1992. So I, you know, my dad was like, yeah, let's go to the tower and get some more. You know, I mean, (laughs) they they were they were as into it as I was, which was really nice. And so we just watched all of them. Wow, that's that's super cool. I've got your parents taking you to see to get John Woo movies. It's amazing. Um, Yeah, well, it's funny because uh, I have kind of it's it's very different the way I kind of got into John Woo, like uh, so the first John Woo movie I actually was able to see was Mission Impossible 2, of all things, which is the most put-upon Mission Impossible sequel. And I know me and you are pretty... I think we'll go to back Mission Impossible 2, if I'm right about that. <laughs> like, Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So put-upon. I mean, it's so different than the other ones, but it's I, I love it because it's John Woo. Because um, before that, I was kind of aware of him. Like, I desperately wanted to see Face Off. Like, I was so hyped for Face Off, but I was only... 10 when that came out my mom would not let me go see it but she went to go see it on a date so i wish i had recorded this because when she got home i made her tell me like the entire plot of face off <laughs> and my mom was like doing her best uh to make it make sense i'm like so wait now he has his face She's like yeah yeah and, like, <laughs> and she was like there's a lot of shooting a lot of killing like um because I just I did I want to see it so bad. I was like, I'll take whatever I can get. Tell me about face off. And so then like post 2000 post Mitch Fox, I'm very aware of John Woo. And I'm like, I've got to see like I saw face off. I think finally, I think I snuck that by. And then I'm starting to hear about his Hong Kong movies. And this is the time when I mean, you know, it's like this is not as easy to go. I can't pull things up on you. There is no YouTube. There's no like. There's no easy way to like look this stuff up. I, I'm I'm looking up stuff online. I had printed off. This is how nerdy I was about this stuff. So this is like I think maybe Wikipedia wasn't a thing. I was going to like people's like personal like Angel Fire try was it Tri City pages and like and like printing off director biographies of like I was printing. I had this John Woo biography that was like pages long that I was obsessed with reading and like Sergio Leone 
and like Martin Scorsese and all these guys. And um, and somehow I finally got my hands on Hardboard and the Killer, these two like DVDs, like a local record store. And I was like, oh, my God, I found them because I couldn't, you know, look them up online. I just found them and they blew my fucking mind. (laughs) Like I was not prepared for those movies, even like kind of thinking I was like, I, I kind of know what John Woo's about, but like even seeing like United States, John Woo versus Hong Kong, John Woo stuff is, it's a whole different thing. And they, it's, I'm with you. It's like, there's me before I saw killer and hardball. And there's me after, because it completely blew the doors off for me. It like pushed me in this direction where I already was in the movies. I was in like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and all these other people. And, uh, and I knew they liked John Woo too. So I was like, oh, okay, I want to make like action movies. <laughs> and I, then I went to film school for that little short time and uh, all that stuff. But it's a big part of me wanting to make movies was watching these John Woo movies and saying, holy shit, I want to do that. So um, that's kind of where I was. Sorry, I kind of went off for a while there. But yeah, that's where no, it started for me. <laughs> you're the same way. You know, I'll, I'll fully admit that that was perhaps my most... Uh, I like to think I'm not very much of a film snob. I mean, my favorite actor, Scott Adkins, how snobby (laughs) can I be? Right. Uh, But um, my most snobby was probably when things like Desperado or Reservoir Dogs uh, were coming out. And I was like, "Mm, who did it better? Ringo Lamb had a much better style than Quentin Tarantino, to which now I'm just like, you know what? They they clearly just are all influences. And 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 I will fully admit, I think Wu does action better than Robert Rodriguez. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm mad at Robert Rodriguez for trying to emulate John Wu. Like I'm mad at the hacks that came in the late 90s. <laughs> who were terrible at it and oh have man yeah <laughs> given woo a bad reputation uh because i i always say I, I actually just said this in the episode that that uh we recorded for dana's show on justice league that about Zack snyder using slow motion the problem isn't that Zack snyder uses slow motion it's that because he does it perfectly it's that every snyder wannabe uh, who uses slow motion can't pull it off. And Wu's very similar, right? Mm-hmm. Every every Wu wannabe that that uses slow motion, two-handed, you know, uh, guns akimbo uh, firing styles with birds and, <laughs> and Christian imagery, Wu does all those things because those all come from the heart for him. Mm-hmm. But all the hacks that tried to rip him off just made everybody think that that's all that Wu was. And that will, to this day, continually piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I, uh, I, it's, yeah, it's so funny. I always say that I feel like the only thing that most of the, like, American directors took from John Wu's movies was, like, two guns and slow motion were good. And that's all they took. And they didn't think, it's, it's like, they, it, it's like, that's all they saw. And they were like, good, cool, copy that. And it's, it's just not I, this is a question I had for you, too. I, I was. Can you think of have you ever seen an American action film that successfully like copied John Woo's style? That Wu didn't direct that he John. didn't direct. Yeah, <laughs> he did direct. Um, 
That's actually a very good question, Matt. Um, you know, I have seen a couple. The first one that springs to mind is actually um, Albert Pune's Nemesis. Uh, I, I, I think I think Pune has and again i can hear people like pulling their hair out that i'm have the nerve to compare albert pune to john woo but um <laughs> i love them both so you know fuck off uh i think pune had i think pune loved woo he he had the same sensibilities this this big operatic uh wear your emotions on your sleeve kind of thing he had a dollar fifty to work with on most of his movies, so it never quite he never quite pulled it off. Mm-hmm. But he's actually the director that I feel like I saw pull off that style maybe better than than just about anybody, um, as far as that goes. Um, but there's there's very few, very few that that I think pulled it off in a way that didn't just look like they were. Uh, you know, seventh generation VHS dubs. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it was a tough question because I couldn't think of an answer. I was like, maybe Michael have an answer that I don't know about. And you can point me in the right direction. But uh, talk about, yeah, constantly kind of hunting for more of that. But like, I couldn't get it. If it wasn't John Woo, it wasn't. It just wasn't the same. There was some stuff I thought was cool, but um, it just wasn't. It, nobody was doing it. I don't think. And I think I said this before we talked on the Van Damme. We kind of went on a Wu tangent. <laughs> we talked about Hard Target. That I felt like in America they almost wouldn't allow you to be as chaotic as feeling. I know he had control, but it's like the gunfights in his movies like feel so much more just like there's collateral damage and chaos and like. Uh, but there's still a sense of control. It's like, you know, where you are in the, in the scene, you know, where you are on the set. Like he gives you a, um, this is kind of more about hard target I'm thinking about, but like the tea house, the opening in the tea house, um, you it's chaos. Like it's just people firing, but you know, where like things are in like, relation to each other. Um, it's clean. It's like, he knows what he's doing. He always has control of these massive shootouts. And if like, I feel like that's a thing a lot of people can't do, <laughs> Well, the one thing that I will say about Wu that I love, and, and this is very important, this is a term I use on on the Adkins podcast a lot, is he is a master of action geography. Mm, he yes. understands that you have to, and, and, and you want to talk about his action scenes being chaos. His filmmaking style is chaos. <laughs> the, the dude never has a script. Like he literally makes shit up on the day most of the time. It's why he actually really struggled here in the U.S. because that's just not how two hundred million dollar budget movies work. They can't right. to have you show up and be like, "All right, uh, let's just you know, Tom Cruise, you just uh, let's just do this. Let's have you do this backflip." And, 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 you know, they, they just, it's not how it works, but that is how Wu's mind works. But he always has such a keen sense of geography of where's the space, where, where do people need to be? I'm going to have all these things blowing up. You know, I, I think of the, the, the big hospital, the big one take hospital mm. shootout in hard yeah. boy. <laughs> um, and it's like, there's all this stuff blowing up and all these people get it, but you never lose sight of, Tony Lung 
and uh, I'm drawing a blank on the the actor's name, uh, which is just just terrible for me. Oh, Philip Quack, Mad Dog. Oh, Mad you Dog. Never okay, lose, yeah. You never lose sight of where they are mm-hmm. during all of this chaos. And so few action directors are are good. I mean, there's a reason we talk about the ones that we talk about being the best of the best, you know, Wu, Ringo Lamb, uh, Johnny Toe, Isaac Florentine, Jesse V. Johnson, guys like that, because they know instinctively how to keep that geography. And it is so damn important. Yeah, though, no, you you said it even better than I could. <laughs> that, was, that was great. The geography. It's like so many directors lose that. And especially with action, because then it just breaks down and they're just like quick cutting and doing all this stuff. And you kind of like, wait, where's it's too dark sometimes. You know, they all the stuff where it's like you just lose track of where everybody is and where we are. But doesn't really happen in John Woo movies, um, especially these two. Um, and he, I, the other thing I was like, really, when I watched uh, well, both hardboard, I was thinking he escalates these things so well. Like there's such a cool buildup before the shootout happens where it's like, you can kind of feel it, it bubbling. If that makes sense, where it's like, it's percolating, it gets you excited. It's like, you know, it's about to blow up. And then it's like, then the shootout happens. It's like, there's always this kind of tension that keeps ratcheting up. And then the huge shootout goes, which I just love. There's that piece of music that comes up a lot in hard boiled, which always gets me like, Ooh, the goosebumps, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's, uh, it's like it's very like yeah it's like and then it goes into the yeah i know exactly what you're talking about it's like oh my god it's just every time i see it and i've seen this movie so many times it's like still gets me so excited like i don't know about you like i think it might be the same way when i watch like good action movies i get like giddy like i am like i might as well be a kid like kicking their feet on the sofa i'm just like ah like i'm just like i get i have a stupid smile on my face like when i went to go see like the john wick movies in theaters my friends i feel like i'm cackling like a maniac off to the side because i'm just like oh i love a good action movie like when they do action well it makes me so happy My wife, Kelsey, always cracks up when we watch movies together, because especially if we're sitting on the couch watching him at home, she can feel it. I get like a like. Shiver almost, (laughs) especially because I I am a sucker for lines that like sort of set up what's coming. Like perfect Mm -hmm. example is is the John Wick, you know, uh, you ask me if I'm back. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. And I like I like literally get the chills and start shivering when something <laughs> like that happens. And then I always she always jokes because then I always lean forward in the chair, like especially in a movie theater. I do that. I like lean forward um, like I'm I don't know, like I'm intently listening to a lecture <laughs> or something because I'm just so excited. So I 100% agree with you. It is the action high, and I I love it. It's why it's my favorite genre, man. No other, as much as I love horror and comedies and, and even really great dramas, no other genre gives me that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so good. It's, it's funny, it reminded me of... Um... Uh, when you were saying you were like, you get like kind of like sitting up and you're like, you, you know, like that John Wick line gets me so pumped up too. But like when I was watching the killer, <laughs> the scene where Chow Yun-Fat and Tony Lung are about to, like they're about to walk out of the church right before the shootout really gets crazy. And like a dove flies by and the music kicks in. I literally said out loud to no one. I was just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, because I knew what was coming. I hadn't seen it in so long. And I was like. Yes, I was like, uh, oh, man, it just I mean, these movies are just something else. And the, the thing that sucks, I was going to mention, is that like it's it's still hard to see both of them. 
right? And then, like, if I miss something, it's like, why are these movies so difficult for people to stream or buy a Blu-ray or DVD of? Yeah, I mean, well, part of the problem is uh, because they ruin everything they touch, the Weinsteins, um, (laughs) because they started the Dragon Dynasty label, um, which put out both the killer and hard boiled in very um unsatisfying versions i would say <laughs> but then dragon dynasty went belly up so there's weird rights issues you can get both copies on amazon for relatively cheap they're not streaming anywhere but you can get blu-rays of them but they're not satisfactory versions and it it does suck because these should be movies. I, I mean, I'm so mad that Criterion lost the license. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, the the two Criterion DVDs of The Killer and Hard Boiled are, are pretty terrific for DVDs that came out in, you know, 1999 or whenever they did. I don't even I'm pretty sure they're not even anamorphic, but the subtitles are great. The special features are great. But then they lost the rights to them, and so we've never gotten good versions of them. Um, you know, there is, I don't really want to plug the guy because <laughs> A, it's a gray area, and B, I don't want more people buying movies from him. But there is a guy who does restored versions of Hong Kong movies. Uh, I'll just quickly say the name Hong Kong Rescue, who has done a brilliant hard boiled and is about to release his version of the killer. And those until we get something more formal uh, would be the definitive versions to get. But streaming, it just sucks. There's just there's nothing. Yeah, they absolutely should be like still on Criterion with like nice Blu-rays because they absolutely deserve it. Um, It was funny that Jackie Chan police story to. uh one and two came out. It, it reminded me again. I'm like, damn it. Those <laughs> hardboard and killer should be back on criterion. But yeah, like the rights are just a mess. And that's why it's, I, of course I want to do the episode because I want to talk about these movies because we both love them. But another reason is like, I don't know how I feel like people are aware of them for sure, but I don't have people have actually seen the whole movies. If that makes like, uh, cause if John Woo's kind of famous, obviously for face off and all these American movies, but the the Hong Kong stuff is not super accessible. Like if it was a stream on Netflix, who knows how it, people could pop up again. But I'm worried that like eventually these movies will be kind of, you know, kind of not completely lost, but you know what I mean? Pushed to the side. And I don't want that happen because they're like two of the best action movies I've ever seen. <laughs> well, a couple of things. One, and and this is just a this is just a rumor that I've heard on the Internet. Uh, and and it could very well not be true. I mean, this is an extreme rumor. Don't even take this okay. with a grain of salt. Take this with like one of those deer licking blocks of salt. Uh, <laughs> is that Criterion is actually working on a John Woo box set? Wow. Uh, um, <laughs> the other thing is they won't ever be lost, lost because mm-hmm. they are constantly in print in hong kong and china i literally just bought a a version of the killer six months ago right Um, (laughs) you know and so they might get lost here in the u.s but they won't be lost to the sands of time they won't be the way some movies that you know we always talk about that just are in danger of disappearing um 
So they'll always be around. But the problem is, is neither one of them have ever gotten a definitive release. Every release of both movies has either had messed up subtitles, messed up audio. Uh, Criterion is non-anamorphic. You know, mm-hmm. the Criterions are probably the closest, but the the Blu-ray or the DVDs are non-anamorphic. So if you've got a, a widescreen TV like we all do now, <laughs> uh, you know, you get the black bars all the way around it and you either have to deal with that or zoom in and lose resolution. Um, the the Dragon Dynasty versions, uh, the the killer is an upscale rip basically of a, of a British DVD that mm. so there it's, you can see stutter stepping and stuff in it. it. Like the movies have not been treated well. And that is incredibly frustrating to me because these <laughs> yeah. are modern classics uh, that deserve to be treated with the care that we treat so many other movies. The problem is the Hong Kong film industry didn't give two shits about archiving or preservation. And so you, you not just the Weinsteins and people screwing it up, but going all the way back to the source material, these movies are screwed up. And that's why there's never really been great versions of them. Yeah, that's very disappointing. And it's like I was saying, it's like, I don't think they'd be lost, lost, like you said, but I just, that's, I think I'm frustrated about the lack of like a definitive edition, a lack of easy streaming. Cause like, you know, if I taught like a college course on movies, I'd be like, we got to watch the killer hardboard show guys had to do action. You know what I mean? It's like, these should be taught in like film schools. It's like, they're that incredible. Um, So I just kind of, I, it's more frustration of like, I want them to get more recognition. So yeah, I hope if that John Woo box set comes through, I will probably openly weep, Mike. I'm going to be honest with you. I will probably shed a couple tears because I'm going to be so overjoyed. Well, and I definitely don't want to get people's hopes up because I'm with you. Yeah. This is just this is this isn't even from like people in the know in the know. It's more just like some people have heard this and some people have heard that and Fortune Star, or I can't remember which company it is in Hong Kong, has done remasters. They just released in Hong Kong a couple of years ago a 4K remaster of A Better Tomorrow, Wu's uh, first, it's certainly not his first movie, but the movie that made him John Wu. Mm-hmm. And there is rumors that they have done 4K remasters of all of his movies. And if they're doing that, that's the reason that we got police story on criterion it's not because criterion did the remasters it's because uh the production company in hong kong did the remasters and then it's easy for places like eureka and criterion to license out those masters and put them out and so rumor is there are 4k remasters of Wu's other movies being done and therefore a if you're in the uk a eureka box set and if you're in the usa criterion box set doesn't seem like a particularly far stretch okay yeah well i'm gonna just you know for kind of forget about it and if it happens it'll be great <laughs> i'm gonna try to push it the back of my mind just like we'll see but um um okay a lot of john Wu took up top i guess we should probably swing into at least uh the first movie here i want to talk about which is the killer 
Um, so I'm not even quite sure where to start here. So, um, so this one, I don't remember because I bought Killer and Hardboard the exact same time. So I think I would have started with the Killer. Um, <laughs> and I rewatched it uh, just the other day and I, I had not seen it in this one. I had, I'd seen Hardboard more recently and I hadn't seen this one as recently. And it'd been a long time. Um, and still as great as I thought it was. <laughs> but the one thing that I kind of forgot about, especially at kind of going from Hardboard back, is that Killer is way more... And I don't mean this in a negative, but it sounds negative. A way more melodramatic movie than I remembered. But that's totally okay. I accept that. Um, but I just kind of forgot. I was like, oh, yeah, this is much more. If you're comparing the killer and hard-boiled, I feel like killer, the killer is got more like emotional weight. It's more dramatic. Uh, and hard-boiled more like the go-for-broke fun action movie. Um so, yeah, I, your thoughts, I guess I'll, I'll ask your thoughts on the killer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I, I agree with you completely. I actually think the killer is more emblematic of John Woo as a director mm-hmm. than hard boiled is um, because Woo is incredibly melodramatic. He <laughs> loves big emotions. Mm-hmm. And I think the killer is. It's 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 my second favorite Wu uh, movie. And for most of my life, it was my favorite Wu movie. It was the one that I think is his best. I think it's his his pinnacle. I'm I'm kind of one of the rare guys that prefers the killer to hard boiled uh, because I love that melodrama. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I I think the there's so much about Wu that is about brotherhood and loyalty and friendship and love. And that, that is all on display in the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I love this movie. I love this movie to death. Uh, it is one of my absolutely favorite movies of all time. Um, I just think it's, it's so good, but it is definitely, I I think the reason that so many people gravitate towards hard boiled is because if I was going to introduce somebody to John Woo, I probably wouldn't start with the killer. I would probably start with hard boiled or even, you know, face off and then work my way back. Uh, because the melodrama can be a bit tough for people here in the U S to take it. Now, if you've watched Hong Kong cinema at all, they're all about the melodrama. They're all about the big emotions and the weird tonal shifts and stuff like that. So the killer fits right in. Uh, but if you're not used to that style, it, it can be a bit harder to watch, I think. Yeah, that's a great point, because I wanted to mention earlier that. So, yeah, when I found these movies when I was younger, I wanted to talk to people about them, tell people about them. No one knew what I was talking about. <laughs> like no one else had seen them. I would literally try to force friends to sit down and play the killer and hard boiled. And like everybody, and these are like teenage boys. So I, you know, I don't expect much, but every guy like checked out at, for everything, but the action scenes, I could only get them to pay attention. Like, I'm like, Oh, shootouts coming. They're like, okay, cool. And, you know, they just couldn't give it the time of day. And, uh, and yeah, killer even lays on more the, dramatic stuff than hard-boiled um and it's funny because i've never seen in either one of these movies um dubbed i've only seen them subtitled which i think is how i would prefer it <laughs> um and there's i it's funny because i was definitely 
looking at lines, reading the lines, and I was thinking, ooh, if somebody said that line out loud dubbed, I don't know how it would play, but I completely accept it uh, <laughs> if it's just, if I'm just reading it. And it's like, I don't know how, like, there's a, I almost at the beginning of the podcast was like the Mickey Mouse to my Dumbo, because they have that whole back and forth <laughs> with like, uh, they call each other Mickey Mouse and Dumbo, and they're pretending like they're old friends. And like, I feel like one of my friends called out that he's like, this is cheesy. I don't get it type thing. But like, I just accept it. Like uh, maybe cause I just kind of know that it translates differently or something. But and I, I wish I wrote down some specific lines, but there's some stuff where when you just read it, it's fine. But if I heard it spoken, I might be like, it's kind of a weird line, <laughs> but if that makes sense at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think about, uh, when, uh, Ajahn's friend, uh, who's his friend that's still in the Yakuza, um, Fung Say, you know, when he's like, I'm not a dog, you know, or am I a dog? And, and, and Chow Yun Fat Ajong is like, you're not a dog, you know. It, those lines are so emotional and they're delivered in such earnestness. But the problem is when you dub over them, and I have watched both these movies oh. in diversion. <laughs> uh-huh. And when you dub over them, you just, you lose so much of that. Uh, I think these are some of, so the other thing that was really weird is, is there was one guy, I don't know his name. I don't even know if I could find him because so much dubbing is non-union, so they don't keep records of it. But there was an Australian guy who like made his bread and butter in the dubbing world being Chow Yun Fat's dubber. Oh, he okay. would just he would dub Chow Yun Fat movies because when I would watch dubbed versions of these movies, Chow Yun Fat always had an Australian accent. And I'm like, it's that same guy. And he actually was pretty good, but there's just so much emotion in the delivery that and I think that's why it's not just, you know, you you know, you say in Matt that like it's easier when you read it. It's that you're hearing the actual emotion that the actors on set are providing. In spite of the fact that both of these movies are actually dubbed because Hong Kong cinema rarely shot uh, on set sound. Uh, most of their movies, they they did post on the audio. Um, but you're still hearing Chow Yun-Fat and, and Chu Kong give these uh you know very emotional performances and and i think that's why it works but again it definitely isn't for everybody <laughs> yeah yeah i i I've, maybe my friends would be better now that they're older but it's like i couldn't get anyone to appreciate it with me so uh another reason i'm happy we're doing this podcast <laughs> this is a good thing about the internet when you can actually meet other people uh and social media who actually share your interest on weird things that no one else around you <laughs> liked um but uh but yeah, and it's yeah, the killer was so much more dramatic. I remember there's so much in the relationship, uh, relationship between Chai and Fat and um, I can't remember the actor who kind of plays his like handler uh, because uh, I probably should have set this up because I don't again, I'm kind of taking for granted how people know exactly what these movies are about. Um, I can do it very quick that the killer's about Chai and Fat playing a hitman who goes on a last job for the triad. He gets into a gunfight. He accidentally blinds the singer named Jenny Um he feels terrible about it. He kind of begins to watch over her. He tries to take one last job to pay for the surgery she needs for her eyes. He gets double crossed by a triad boss named Wong. Um, and he's also being chased by the cops after that. And he's just trying to get out and get her this eye surgery. And he's being chased by this 
cop uh, played by uh, Danny Lee, correct? Uh, or, yeah. 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 Uh, Inspector yeah. Ying. Um, and so he's kind of chasing him. So he's got kind of all sides and he has a handler that kind of, uh, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> there's a whole, th- I don't want to spoil that, but there's a whole thing there that uh, they have a complicated relationship because they really care about each other. But, that goes south and then like him and inspector ying start to bond and they become it's very they bond very quickly because by the end of the movie it's this very emotional thing between the two of them and of course you got chagging fat and the singer uh played by sally yay jenny plate falling in love there's all these like relationships and emotions and like uh i forgot how hard the ending hits because um i won't talk around it but <laughs> it goes a different way than i thought um and it kind of ends on this very uh, in a sour, dark note, darker than I remembered it being. Um, and that's so funny to go then watch Hard Boiled, which is feels almost light by comparison to the killer because killer's dealing with all these like heavy emotions and relationships. And then Hard Boiled's like, you know, about Cheyenne Fats, like this super cop who's like, you know, it's almost borderline unrealistic, like over the top, completely like crazy by comparison to the killer, which almost feels grounded. But, um, but yeah, that's I mean, that's the movie. And it's just it's it is I can see a lot of people are in trouble with it because I don't think I don't know. We're just not used to the way that they do things in Hong Kong and America. It's very different sensibilities and very different styles. Like, I think a lot of people would see this and think it's cheesy or like overdramatic. But I don't know. I get it. I feel like I'm into it. But um, yeah, I don't know. Killer is I mean, it's still so good. I, th- I agree with you. I think this is the most John Woo movie it's that scene like i feel like john woo in one shot is like <laughs> the two of them uh chow Yun fat and Lee bonding and they leave that church together uh and there's the dove and it's slow motion and it's just like boom and there's church of course there's like religious uh, iconography behind them i'm like that's john woo in like one shot for me <laughs> yeah absolutely you get that one you've got the one where they're in jenny's apartment and you get the classic john mm-hmm. woo of they've got their guns together but she's blind, so they're talking. They're pointing their guns at one another, and that's where Mickey Mouse or Butthead, depending on the subtitled version <laughs> you, you've seen, it all comes up. But they're they're talking about you know they're talking like they're old friends as they've got their guns pointed at each other, and she's like, "Oh, I'll go make some tea," or you know, and it's just yeah. There's so much about this. I this is one of those movies where. <laughs> I don't like to say this because I don't ever want to dissuade people from watching movies. And I certainly don't ever want to be a gatekeeper. But if you don't like this movie, maybe John Woo's just not for you. You know what I mean? Because yeah. this is this is exactly everything that he does uh, to a peak. And, and it's actually interesting because, you know, you mentioned Hard Boiled seems so much lighter and. That's because Hard Boiled was kind of his audition tape for America. Mm-hmm. And so he was really trying to show because surprisingly, the killer wasn't a massive success in China. Yeah, I was surprised when I read that. I, I didn't know that till like I was doing research for this podcast. It was, I guess, a bigger hit with people over here in the States, it sounded like. <laughs> he, he had actually been on a bit of a bad run. The killer was a bit of a disappointment. His next movie, Bullet in the Head, was really a box office disappointment. mm -hmm. And then his next movie, uh, Once a Thief, was kind of successful. But this was sort of hard-boiled. And I don't want to transition to hard-boiled just to give it context. 
was him really kind of trying to like go out of Hong Kong on a high note while also addition for America. And so I think that is why it does in my mind, it actually doesn't feel as much like a John Woo movie as some of his other movies. Um, even though I still love it. Uh, mm-hmm. I just am never, I'm never going to go back to hard boiled the way I go back to the killer. It's never going to make me feel the way the killer does. The killer literally, no matter how many dozens of times I've seen it. Uh, and I don't know, are we spoiling? Or are we not spoiling? Uh, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Cause I definitely want to, but I feel like people haven't seen these. I feel like, I'll put a spoiler warning at the beginning and say, if you haven't seen these movies, you really want to see them. We're going to have to spoil stuff. So I think you can go ahead. It's fine. Well, I'll just say I I won't go into super detail, but you mentioned that the ending really, and and there's a certain part of the ending, uh, essentially the fate of Ah Jong, no matter how many times I have seen this movie never fails to make me tear up. Like, because it's just so ironic and I don't mean in the haha ironic way, just in the like, let me punch you in the nuts ironic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it's ballsy. It is ballsy to end a movie the way John Woo ends this movie. Yeah, it's in, I, for some reason. Also, I had in my mind imagined like a little happy coda at the end that does not happen like a little happy epilogue and i was like oh wait that doesn't even happen i'll tell you after we get done but i was like oh that doesn't even happen shit um and it's funny this is kind of goes back to about just john woo as a person like he's one of those guys where i feel like you see him talk and and just hear him talk about movies and he seems like such a nice (laughs) sweet man and he makes some of the most violent movies that have ever been made and this is so dark for him like i'm like you, it's like I know he's like probably just he had a very rough childhood. Apparently, he grew up in poverty and he saw a lot of bad stuff from what I've read. Um, so I think he always wrestles with this. Like it's it's all the movies. It's like there's a guy who's got like he's a good guy, but he's got darkness in him. There's a bad guy who's got a, a nice like light edge to him. He always is big on this like duality of people. Like the good guys aren't completely good, the bad guys are completely bad. Sometimes you know it's like usually his main characters are kind of like two sides of the same coin. Is a way to put it. Um, and I'm like, the killer is so dark for John. We're such a nice, kind man. <laughs> uh, who, and he it, it just goes, yeah, it's so, and the movie hits. I mean, you're right. Like, it, it, it gets me at the end more than it got me before on this viewing. I'm like, damn, this really hits because he, he builds it all up so well. And you're like, this emotionally pays off great. I mean, it, it hurts, but it, it hits it like it should. So, well, and he is obsessed with the consequences of violence. Yes. <laughs> like that, that is, there is no, at least in his Chinese movies, there is no violence without consequence. Nothing. He's not interested in raw, raw, let's go kick some ass. Like, <laughs> like violent people die violent deaths Mm -hmm. and if they don't die they've still very likely had their soul destroyed and uh you know i think that is the thing that people don't realize about Wu's chinese work is how much he doesn't want he wants to entertain us 
but he doesn't want to us to enjoy it too much. You know, that's mm-hmm. one thing I, 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 I will give, I think, Quentin Tarantino a lot of credit for is is Tarantino has really taken that from Wu and and Wu's influences like Melville and Peck and Paw. Tarantino wants to entertain us, but he is never going to let us just enjoy watching people get killed. You know, I, I think of even the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which should be I'm gonna spoil Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> because I'm assuming most of you, but you know, when Brad Pitt is basically messing up all the Manson family. And it's like, it should be cathartic. We should feel good. And then Tarantino literally forces us to watch Brad Pitt smash a woman's face. Like, I don't know. I'm sure it was probably only two or three, but it felt like 17 times to me. I know it hit so hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, and Wu's very much the same way with that. Right. He's like, I'm going to entertain you, but I don't want you to like, come out fist bumping you know how excited you are that chow yun fat looks so cool wielding two berettas <laughs> he's like i want you to remember the look on danny lee's face at the end of this movie mm. that that this entire movie every single person in this movie is a victim and yeah. and that is where he just you know, you mentioned where earlier you asked me, who do I think has been able to copy Wu? And I will say that that is where I don't think anybody other than arguably Tarantino has ever been able to replicate in the U.S. what he does, where even himself, mm-hmm. uh, his face off and wind talkers are the only two movies where I think you can walk away sort of feeling like everybody in that movie is a victim. And honestly, not even face off because Caster Troy is just so over the top bad. <laughs> wind yeah. talkers is really the only one where I feel like he nailed that. Everybody's a victim there. There are no heroes. There are no villains. There's just the powerful and the powerless. And that's all that exists in John Woo's world. Um, and the powerless periodically try and fight back. And most of the time they quote unquote win in his movies. Uh, but they win in the way that the powerless often win in real life, which is they lose a hell of a lot more than they gain. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Very well said. I it's uh, I, that I'm glad you mentioned the shot on Danny Lee's face. That's the part that really kills me in the killer is that the, the look on his face is so good. There's so much in just the look on his face. That's like, that's just some great acting and <laughs> just like not saying a thing and just, man, yeah, it kills me. It, um, so uh, no, it's, it's fantastic. I'm like, I, I don't think, yeah, a lot of people don't, they don't put enough emotion into their action. You know what I mean? It's like, they don't earn the action. They don't, um, they don't show the consequences of it enough. And that's, I thought, I thought you were gonna say this when you said, uh, it's like people die or they kind of lose their souls. People also get shot constantly in John Woo shoot. Like even the good guys will take a bullet in the arm or the leg or wherever. And like, they just have to keep, keep going. Like people usually don't get out unscathed in some way. They're, they're going to get shot or fucked up in some way. Like he's all about like the, the, the damage it's going to be. That's at least kind of realistic. If all these bullets are flying around, everyone's going to probably take a bullet or two, you know? So um, he's big on that too. I feel like no one's getting out. Like they're untouchable basically. (laughs) 
No, and you get all the massive exploding squibs, and I mean, blood just flies everywhere. Like, <laughs> he does not want us to... Uh, this isn't Rambo. Well, and I mean, when I say this isn't Rambo, I mean Rambo 2. Obviously, first one is, <laughs> yeah. is, you know, a movie that makes you want to question the action that you're seeing. But th- this isn't a, this isn't Cobra. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, he he wants to hurt us as much as he wants to entertain us. And and I love him for that. I, I agree. Yeah. Um, a couple of things I want to mention about the, the killer before I forget. Um. I've I've wanted to know this for years. I cannot find answer. This is very specific for you, Mike. But at one point in The Killer, they're having this big chase shootout in a parking garage. I feel like I've seen this wrong for years. At one point, Chagan Fat's like in a Jeep or something and shoots. It looks like he shoots Wong's arm off his body. But then he immediately has the arm still attached. Have you ever noticed this? (laughs) I actually haven't ever noticed that, but that wouldn't surprise me. Given the, (laughs) the fast and loose way both Hong Kong and John Woo uh, shot movies. Um, there's nothing about that that would surprise me. Continuity <laughs> errors are uh, just, they're not a thing that Hong Kong cinema, especially in the golden age, uh, really gave a shit about. And so it, it wouldn't, <laughs> in, in like I mentioned earlier, you know, Wu doesn't really shoot with a complete script. He kind of makes stuff up on the day. So I could one I can't confirm this. I don't okay. but I could 100% see him thinking in his head it would make it much cooler if he did shoot off Wong Hoi's arm. And so now Wong Hoi's extra angry at the end, right? Because Ah John has taken his his arm <laughs> and then realizing that maybe that doesn't work as well as they wanted it to, so they just let it go. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just had to ask because I'm like, who else would have any kind of answer to this question if not Mike? So next time you watch it, look for this. It's like he Wong Ho is like reaching out of the car. Chang and Fat shoots him. It looks like the arm just falls off his body. And then it's like, nope, arm's still attached. Uh, for years, I've been like, what the hell? I mean, that makes sense. If they're flying fast and loose with just trying to shoot stuff and something change. They're like, no, no, he's going to have his arm now. But um, uh, <laughs> I just had to ask about that. Uh, one scene that I feel like to me is like very representative of a very John Woo thing is the scene where Danny Lee goes to Chai and Fat's apartment after Chai and Fat has been attacked by these triad guys. And he, it's the whole like cutting back and forth juxtaposition thing that John Woo loves. He does in hard world too, where the cop is trying to follow the killer's like mentality. And they do the whole thing where he kind of figures out, okay, Chai and Fat scooted back in his chair. He shot a guy coming in the door and he puts the whole thing together. And I love those kind of sequences from John Woo. Um, I just, yeah, I think that's like a really, like, I would show somebody that, but this is very John Woo right here. This is a very him sequence. <laughs> no, absolutely. I love it. He, he <laughs> does it in, in almost all of his movies because he, he is just absolutely, you know, you mentioned it a while ago. He is just obsessed with the, the duality of good and evil and that, that they are kind of two sides of the same coin. He does it in this one. He does it in, uh, a little bit in Hard Target. He damn sure does it in Broken Arrow. Uh, he does it in Hard Boiled. He does it in Face Off. Uh, he, it's it's just it, it is a a thing that he goes to because it thematically is very interesting to him. However, I will say I'm not sure that he ever does it better than he does in this scene in The Killer. 
because it also quickly establishes how good uh, Danny Lee is as a cop. And, mm-hmm. and so we get it makes sense. You know, so for those who don't know, you know, Danny Lee was a a relatively big deal already in this movie, but this it just catapulted him into mega stardom. And who really does hook him up in this movie? He is so good and and so you know, it's very hard to stay on the screen with Chow Yun Fat. Uh and Danny Lee does it. Uh, for the entire he goes toe to toe with him in this movie and uh, comes out, I think, almost as good as Chow Yun-Fat does. Yeah, that's true. That's tough, because in Killer and Hardboard, I feel like Chow Yun-Fat has the the kind of bigger, flashier part. I, I feel like flash is the right word. But he's kind of got the more showy part, especially in Hardboard. I mean, he's like the super cop. So he but then both the other guys uh, do a great job sticking with him. And I think in Hardboard, I think. I'd be kind of jump ahead, but I feel like Tony Lung kind of has the meteor part to play. And the, as older I get, I feel like I'm more drawn to what he's doing because he just has more to do. It's more interesting. He's kind of playing this double agent. He's got all this stuff going on. But um, Danny Lee does a great job, too, of st- like holding his own. And I appreciate him, I think, more and more every time I watch the movie because, like, the first time you're not probably as drawn to those guys because they're not chai fat so fucking cool that it's like how do you, you know? he's, he's the coolest actor that's ever lived how do you not like like right. literally he and steve mcqueen are in a battle for the coolest actor <laughs> who's ever existed how do you not but but you do the more times you watch it you start to realize that the other guys and and we will definitely talk about tony lung when we get to hard-boiled uh that they're holding their own and the movie doesn't work if they're not holding their own. Right. Uh, and so I think they are terrific. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and one thing I, you probably know this already, but I was pretty blown away by this when I read this recently that they, so they've been trying to make a remake of the killer in the States for like 30 years at this point, like apparently in 92, they were almost ready to do this with Walter Hill directing. And from what I read, Richard Gere and Denzel Washington, playing the two leads. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that before. They were apparently were... okay. I actually read that script. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I was able to acquire years ago. I was able to acquire that script and, and I read it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that movie. Not getting. Made. Okay. Okay. I understand. I mean, I read that. I'm like, I like Walter Hill. I like Denzel Washington. I'm not a huge Richard Gere fan, but I'm like, that would have that could have been interesting. I don't know what I don't know what it would have been. But then apparently I read like the studio had all kinds of issues with it. And one thing I thought was very interesting was the studio had a problem. They felt the two main characters, they had too much of a I'm using air quotes, homoerotic relationship, which I'm like, that's a very like 1992 studio note like to, to take from this movie. <laughs> like, I mean, like that's they write into that like that. But um, yeah, I just thought that was like, that's kind of why they got over it. And then they uh, they try to do it a couple other times. Um, just like two years ago, apparently Universal, I, I read, was still working on something. And one of the leads, I'm not sure who she was going to play. They were going to swap it. And Lapita Nuango from Us was one of the leads. I don't know if she's playing the killer or the cop, but um, they had that going. Like two, she, she Apparently she left the project. But I was like, well, that could be interesting. I, I'm sure. No, That's the thing. I'm not expecting any of these movies to be better than John Woo's original. But I'm almost kind of curious in a way to see how this how they pulled off in the States. But. I, I was 
I was legit excited for the Lupita Nyong'o one because Wu was actually supposed to come back and direct it himself. And, oh, okay. and I love Lupita Nyong'o. So I was I was legit excited for that one. I, I was a bit bummed when I found out that she left that one. Um, the, the Walter Hill one, I can't remember who originally wrote the script, but that one felt like exactly kind of what we've been talking about, which is you understand Wu on a surface level, but don't remotely understand what he's trying to do um, and what he's trying to say. And, And then of course, yeah, like I, Wu often gets criticism, feedback, pushback for the homoeroticism of his movies. And, it, it's actually funny because on one hand that that fills I, I'm treading into a bit of dangerous ground here. So bear with me, Matt. Okay. <laughs> um, it feels very reductive because what I really think Wu is, is anti-toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so, you know, we always talk about like uh a relationship between two male characters, if they're at all, if they have chemistry at all, people are like, you know, the thousand ships, you know, Steven, Steve Rogers and, and, and Bucky Barnes, the, you know, the ship launched a thousand ships. Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the thing I think here is for woo, it's, it's not about a romantic kind of love. And even if it was, that's fine. But I think more the point is, is that he was well ahead of the game in understanding toxic masculinity and the destructive effects of men not being able to be friends, dedicated, devoted friends with other men. Uh, and, And so... I it, it's one of those ways where I feel like his movies are actually quite far ahead of the game when they came out, because I don't really read a romantic relationship between a Zhang and, and Li Ying. What I do read is a powerful soul connection as you know, we kind of joke about on like the internet where like you, you know, you and I, we've never met in real life and I consider you a very good friend. You know that I, I sort of get right, that yeah. sense of like these guys just, they are willing to die for one another, but it's not necessarily romantic and that's okay. What it isn't is toxic. Their friendship is not toxic. It is healthy and something that we should all be more okay with having, uh, to be honest with you. No, and I was just going to say in the, the, the Walter Hill script was very much, um, you know, no homo, uh, for <laughs> lack of a better term. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that people just miss, uh, when they try and replicate John Woo movies. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought of it was like a East versus West mentality type situation where yeah, I guess we're so afraid of any kind of thing that feels like it's it's you know homoerotic relationship. But uh, I was I, I never expected to quote Wayne's World on this podcast today, but I feel like John Woo gets platonic love can exist between two men and that's OK. <laughs> and, and I don't that's a hard concept people to grasp, I guess. I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, like. 
I don't even have a brother, but I can get that there's it's more like a brotherly bond or like a good friends or something. It's like people can't people seem to have a hard time with that for some reason. I don't know. But yeah, I don't get it uh, like a romantic subtext to it either. I get like a mutual respect or understanding of each other in the killer specifically. And uh, yeah, I just think it's it's interesting. People read into that as much as they do because <laughs> I don't I don't see it. But um, yeah, no, it's just interesting. So I'm. Okay, now you're making me glad the Walter Hill movie never got made because it didn't sound like you very good. <laughs> so it, it wouldn't have been. I and and I actually think the bigger problem might have been Denzel. Um, I oh. actually do think Richard because Richard Gary, you know, he's also a romantic comedy guy. Mm-hmm. He has the ability to sort of pull off those emotions. I love Denzel to death. I love him to death, but I. 100 percent and this was a long time ago he wasn't the denzel that he is now it might have been different but i just feel like he might have been a little too man on fire denzel uh to really play off that relationship okay that makes sense that makes sense um well before we jump over to hardball anything else you want to say about the killer no, no, I, I I mean, watch the movie. Like, we can talk about it forever, but we've already been going for a while, so we I should talk about the next one. <laughs> uh, seek it out, people. Find it. The DVD's still out there. Um, okay, Hard Boiled. I, I will say this about Hard Boiled. Um, so I I think, we kind of have this a little bit, I think The Killer is a better movie from a story perspective and, like, carries more emotional weight. I prefer to watch Hard Boiled probably because it's an easier watch because I'm not having to deal with emotions. But and for my money, and I say this all the time, people, so this is not me. I don't I'm not I don't say anything else like this. For my money, Hard Boiled to me is the best action movie ever made. I, I just I believe that. I mean, like and I mean, disagree. Obviously, that's fine. But just for me, I'm like, I can't put anything above it, honestly, uh, every time I watch it. I mean, mainly is from those three massive set pieces, the, the opening in the middle the opening the tea house, the middle and like the car uh, scrapyard warehouse building and the ending in the hospital, which is like one of the maybe the best like action shootout set piece I've ever seen in my entire life. It's incredible. Um, yeah, I know I set the bar super high there for hard boiled, Mike, but, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you you just said. Um hard-boiled kind of i'm gonna maybe lose a little bit of woo cred here hard-boiled kind of exhausts me so i actually don't revisit it as much because it is just a pure action movie and and those three major set pieces are they take up almost an hour i think of the runtime of the film and so you're you've got a barrage it's very similar to how i felt about john wick chapter three Mm. where as much as i loved john wick chapter three i was kind of done with john wick shooting people in the head by the end of that movie (laughs) and there's a little bit of that for me with hard-boiled now i still think the movie is tremendous i still think it's a it's a five-star absolutely one of the greatest movies of all time it is actually just not the woo movie that I revisit the most. Uh, I think because if I just want actiony woo, I go with hard target. And if I want more dramatic woo, I go with the killer or a better tomorrow or my actual favorite John woo movie, uh, which is red cliff. And, uh, and so 
it's it's one where I'm I love it. I think it's tremendous, but it's not necessarily the Wu movie that I revisit the most, if that makes sense. No, no, I understand. I've heard that like criticism of before about how it all it does feel kind of exhausting by the end, almost especially by the end. You've got like I think that hospital set piece is like 40, 45 minutes long and it's uh, maybe that's too long. It's like at least 30. I think it's insane. It goes on for, you know, the time in the hospital is so there's so much time in that hospital because they're down in this uh, where they're keeping all these stolen weapons down there and they have to get out of there. Then you get into the shootout in the hospital. Then babies come into it. And (laughs) it's like that's I've heard that criticism, too, is that people, I think, don't like when it, it feels so over the top, when Chow Yun-Fat is trying to save this one baby and his leg catches on fire, his pants catch on fire, and the baby pisses down his leg and puts the fire out, I think that loses some people. I'm still on board at that point. But <laughs> I, I kind of get it where some people think it's too long, it's too bloated, it's too over the top, or it's just as exhausting. Um, I'm all for it. I don't know. It doesn't. I, I don't get tired of it. I feel like I get excited every time another one of those crazy set pieces about to start. I'm like, Oh, here we go. Like I get off the couch a little bit. I'm like, okay, good, good. We're going now. So, but I get, I get what you're saying completely. Um, and like I said, killer definitely, I mean, I don't think it's, it's not even disputable. It's got more emotional weight. It's a better dramatic story. I mean, but, but I, we talked about this a little bit. Tony Lung as Alan, um, does some great stuff in this movie as this like double agent guy who's undercover, and he's playing multiple sides, um, and he does some great acting. Um, I, you probably know I'm going to mention specifically the scene. Um, I'll just we're kind of jumping around, but I, people will figure it out. The the part where he has to kill his like former boss that he's been working for is an older triad guy, and there's a younger triad guy who wants to kind of take over, and he is like, "Alan, prove your loyalty to me." Basically, shoot shoot him, you know, and like the. Alan, God, Tony Lung's acting that scene is so damn good. <laughs> I'm sure you have more to say about this, Mike, but like that scene, every time I'm like blown away by that part specifically with Tony Lung. <laughs> so I don't know if people will consider this a, a bold statement or not, but I think Tony Lung has a legit claim as the greatest Chinese actor of all time. Um, he is this was very early in his career, uh, but he had worked with Wu in Bullet in the Head. And I don't know, Matt, have you ever seen Bullet in the Head? No, because I've never been able to really get my hands on it, honestly. I, much. Yeah, we can talk off mic. I can I can help you with that. Um, <laughs> as tremendous as he is here, he is even better there. And then from those two, he sprung into you know he's one of Wong Kar Wai's uh go-to actors he's in Red Cliff he's in uh Zhang Yimou's Hero which is my pick for uh one of the two or three greatest martial arts movies of all time uh Tony Lung is so unbelievably talented mm-hmm. and so unbelievably gifted and that is on full display in this movie. He, I love Chow Yun-Fat. I think Chow Yun-Fat's a tremendous actor. Like I said before, I think he's arguably the coolest actor who's ever lived. Tony Lung really can stake a claim to not even, I think, being just the best Chinese actor of all time. I think he can stake a claim to maybe being the greatest actor of all time. He is so 
unbelievably good. I love him. I love him in everything I see him in. Uh, he is the heart and soul of Hard Boiled because, like you said, it's almost like they shifted a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. Danny Lee in The Killer is not the deepest character. He he does a very good job with it, but Chow Yun Fat gets to do all the emotional heavy heavy lifting, and in Hard Boiled. Chalian Fat's there just to look cool. And, <laughs> yes. and Tony Lung has to do all the emotional heavy lifting. And oh boy, is he up to the task. I mean, he yeah. is, he's he's up to it. He blows the task away. He doesn't even look back. He's so good in it. Yes, man. So well put. I, I gotta see more of his his movies and his acting because I haven't seen nearly enough. And yeah, he's so good in this. And it's like we said, Chalian Fat just gets to be Super cool in this movie, which he's good at. I mean, he does all the... And again, you watch Hard Boil the first time, of course you're going to be blown by Chai and Fat. He's fucking sliding down a, a railing with two guns, shooting, you know, he's fucking swinging down from a ceiling on a rope, blasting guys with a machine gun by himself. He even looks cool, like, just loading up a shotgun. Like, he's putting it shell by shell, and he just looks cool doing everything. So it's like, yeah, of course, Chai and Fat's cool. But, but yeah, Tony Long, the more I watch it, you just can't help but, like, be drawn to his performance because i feel like he has to do a lot of internal acting especially i mean there's so much he has to do with you know he's trying to keep on a certain face in front of these these uh, triad he's working with and uh hide his emotions and and kind of look you know cool and tough for them and then he's turn around and, <laughs> and you know have this look of pure pain he seems genuinely like tormented in this movie and it's not like over the top it's not uh, he's not overacting at all he plays it like perfectly it's uh, yeah i agree it's i'm blown away by how good he is in this movie <laughs> well and it's actually interesting because he started as a little bit of a, a hong kong pretty boy and <laughs> this this gave him he he in a lot of ways kind of a, a a bit reminds me of matt damon's career where he started as sort of a pretty boy and then got a couple of meaty roles and got enough clout that he was able to uh, actually start doing the things that that interest him. Um, like I'm just I'm looking at him now and I'm looking at so we get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. He has been nominated for best actor in the Hong Kong Film Awards 13 times. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> um, and he has won it seven. Oh, that's uh, a pretty pretty good ratio. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he won for one called People's Hero, which is great. My Heart is That Eternal Rose I haven't seen. Chunking, really, if he teams up with Wong Kar Wai, who for those listening, there's a new Criterion Wong Kar Wai box set out. Um, they are at their best together. He's almost... Uh, Wong's De Niro. He's almost the De Niro to Wong Scorsese. Uh, they, they've worked together on like six or seven different movies and they always seem to bring out the best in one another. Uh, but then he also won for people would know, might know this movie. Uh, he was the Leonardo DiCaprio role in Infernal Affairs, which was the, the basis for The Departed. Um, and I will tell you that I will take Tony Long. I like I love Leo, but I will take Tony Long over Leo any day of the week. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair. I, it's so that's so funny you bring that up though because I had just watched The Departed very close to Hard Boiled and I couldn't help but like think of 
what Leonardo DiCaprio is doing in Departed and what Tony Long's doing in Hard Boiled, because they're kind of playing similar parts where they're guys who are like very tormented. They're kind of being pulled in all different directions. And I like Leonardo DiCaprio in Departed a lot, but he's kind of he's really playing up like I'm losing it. You know, he's really playing up that he's like really losing his shit. And Tony Long is like, I feel like also clearly kind of like having a very rough time, but he plays it more subtly, I would say. And I kind of prefer his performance. But uh, yeah, it's so funny that I watched us too close together and couldn't help but draw those those parallels between the, what they were doing. <laughs> well, Lung just plays tired so yeah. well. <laughs> you know, he just plays like his soul is rotting and and he doesn't know what to do about it. Um, no, I, I really do think as much as I love, I love Chow Yun-Fat, <laughs> the, the real backbone of this movie is tony lung uh he's he's this movie doesn't work without him Mm -hmm. uh this movie turns into just a chow yun fat action vehicle uh if lung's not bringing to the table what he does in this movie oh i agree 100 percent. yeah he's the heart and soul of the movie and it's funny because i know when i was younger i'm sure i was thinking like okay get past all the boring talking stuff get back to the action set pieces but but no the the movie just doesn't work the same at all without him in it um and yeah no he's crucial to the movie working so um no he's he's great um Chiang fat is still as cool as ever so we can't we've said that plenty of times but he's you can't get over how cool he is honestly um and that helps that John Woo can make like anybody look cool. Like I'm just, I was kind of rewatching like some stuff a day of kind of like highlights or John Woo highlights, something like that people kind of taking clips from all his movies, Hong Kong and American stuff. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, John Woo could make anybody fucking look cool. <laughs> like, he you know turned I mean? Christian Slater into an action hero for a hot minute <laughs> because he, he made Christian Slater look so great in broken arrow. <laughs> Yeah, he's just so good. at it. And no wonder everybody wanted to work with him. Like, I know I was seeing clips of, like Tom Cruise really like talking up John Woo when Mission Impossible 2 was coming out. He was really like, I think he was trying to sell him to people if they weren't aware of how good he was. Is like because John Tom Cruise is like, he's the Woo man. He's the Woo. He's just, you know, he's the best. Like, he just was really, really talking him up. And I, I think Tom Cruise probably never looked cooler in any of the movies besides two. It's the coolest he's ever been. Um, and I love him in all those movies. But I mean. God damn, the part, man, talk about, sorry, I know we're going off on tangent, but the, the part Mission Possible 2 where John Woo builds up to the the big, like, mask reveal where you think um, Tom Cruise, spoilers for Mission Possible 2, but it's been a long time, <laughs> where you think Tom Cruise has been captured, but uh, it turns out that he's pulled, like, the mask trip and put it on one of the henchmen, and then he escapes, rips the mask off, the music hits, going to this amazing motorcycle yeah. chase oh my the god you get that drop with that the hans zimmer version of that theme song that done 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 you know and then that's the thing i always tell people with two is like look i get two's over long it's bloated it doesn't all work but the last 25 minutes of that movie is such an action orgasm <laughs> that i i don't know like how you leave that movie being in a bad mood like, <laughs> like, yeah like, yeah I, I was obsessed with like specifically the because i had seen like no john woo so this is like my, my first real taste and i was obsessed with that ending motorcycle chase that was like the, one of the coolest things i've ever seen and even that set piece where they're in the the lab and it's very like He's got, um, oh God, what's her name? Uh, Tanny Newton, 
uh, Doug Ray Scott has Hanny Newton, and and it's kind of, you get some little bit of action there. But I was obsessed with that set piece and that that whole ending. Once that music kicks, like you said, that score comes in the Mission Impossible theme. It's just like it's oh my god! I was <laughs> just being so excited. I was thirteen. That like blew my mind. So yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> Well, and it, it it is I don't I don't want to switch gears too much, but it is a bit unfortunate because he followed that up with with one of his blank one of his many sort of blank check movies that he's had, which was Wind Talkers, uh, which did not do well at the box office, and I think is a damn shame because I actually uh, much like the uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League had the studio had the confidence to release Wu's director's cut, which is available on Blu-ray. Um, I don't know that the movie would have done better at the box office, but I think it would have been more critically well received because his director's cut is very much. I don't know if you've ever seen Wind Talkers, Matt, but it's very much a John Wu movie. It fills at home uh, as a John Wu movie. Shockingly, I have not. I mean, it, probably because I'm not as big into like war movies, and I probably put me off, even though it was John Woo. But and I think there was like bad reviews at the time, and um, and I just never got around to it. But now, yeah, you tell me this, I'm like, oh, I need to finally see Wind Talker, so I got to get around to that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, MVD put out a uh, a Blu-ray that has his director's cut. I think it's almost three hours long, and it's it's absolutely worth it. Uh, it's got good Nick Cage performance, good Christian Slater performance. Um, uh, really, really worth checking out um, and, and has many of the themes that you would expect from a John Woo movie. It's, you know, I've said this before, I, starting with A Better Tomorrow, because a lot of his earlier comedies and stuff I'm not a big fan of. Uh, but starting with a better tomorrow, really, the only John Woo movie I don't like is uh, Paycheck, uh, the the Ben Affleck one. Yeah, one I've stayed away from too. <laughs> it's not bad if you didn't know that John Woo was the director. Honestly, the movie's fine. You'd watch it and be like, "That's fine. It's okay. fine." <laughs> but it's knowing that John Woo is the director that is what makes it hard. Yeah, I mean, it puts such like a it, it builds up so much that I think it's hard to live up to it sometimes <laughs> like, Oh, John Woo did this. And if it's not like completely, you know, all out John Woo, then I, I'm even disappointed. I don't know, but, um, no, I didn't see wind talkers. And I, I have not really seen any of his stuff. Cause I mean, he's gone back to Hong Kong, right. Since paycheck basically. And, um, but I've seen like none of that stuff. So I probably should catch up on some of those. I'm sure there's some, I haven't seen red cliff, which you mentioned is like your favorite John Woo, which I'm like, I, well, I got to see that. So, <laughs> um, I think I think Redcliffe is his masterpiece. I think Redcliffe is the uh, the culmination of everything that John Woo's career has been working toward. Um, I think Redcliffe is, in my opinion, one of I don't want to oversell it for you mm -hmm. or anybody else listening. I think it's one of the best movies of all time. I think it is a staggering accomplishment of cinema. I think, honestly, it's the kind of movie that if I had made it, I would have retired after I was <laughs> done. I would have just been like, it's never going to be better than this. Um, because I just think it's it's a four hour epic, four and a half hour epic, and it earns every second of that runtime. Um, and everything that you, we've been talking about that you like about John Woo is on full display, except 
it's a period piece, so there's no guns, which is actually something I wanted to say at the start of the episode, which is if people think that all John Woo is is dual-wielding guns, watch Red Cliff, because there's no guns. Uh, right. And, and it some, somehow still manages to feel like the most John Woo movie ever. Okay, I'm going to have to seek that out. Um, yeah, it's funny, because, I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know who originated this quote, but it's like, you know, if you can... If you can direct action well, you should be able to direct anything well. I think that really applies to John Woo because I think he's just a good director across the board and very few people could do action like he does. So, uh, yeah, I just think he's I think people sometimes want a certain thing from not just him, but certain directors. They just want the same thing over and over. Um, But no, I would check that out um, for sure. Um, And one thing I have to mention about Hard World, because I feel like. Uh, this this is blows me away every time I read it, and I I knew this before, but it, it this might tell you in the movie too. So there's this insane the hospital shoot at the end is this insane. It's this long set piece with like there's so much stuff going on. There's shrapnel and blunt glass and squibs and blanks going on. I mean, there's just so much happening, and there's a one take that's I think I don't know. I think it's about three four minutes of a one take shot where. Uh, Chow Yun-Fat, Tony Lung are going through the hospital. They're shooting a bunch of guys. At one point, they have to they get into an elevator. The scene continues, doesn't stop. <laughs> and they get off the same elevator and they and more action happens. They start shooting guys immediately. And it blew me away that they just cleaned up the floor. The elevator goes nowhere. So Chow Yun-Fat, Tony Lung are in this elevator. It just they're just waiting for the scene to be cleared. These they had a crew come in, clear the scene out in like 30 seconds or less, and then a whole new part of the scene starts, and we're still in the same take. It's like I, like that to me is like one of the most amazing things I could imagine. Cause I know most directors try to cheat that in some way. You know what I mean? Um, and these guys did it all practical, just cleared the floor out and were like, all right, we gotta go. We and they couldn't fuck it up because I think I read they had they can only do it once because they were on the schedule too tight and money and stuff like that. But that I just had to mention that because that's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a true wonder, um, yeah. which is is really unusual. And yeah, the thing that's amazing about it is they were running out of time and money. And so they came up with this insane wonder because they didn't have time to film it. The only way they had enough time and money to film it was to do it all in one take. <laughs> it's just amazing it's like I, it just blows me away every time i watch it and there's so much great action in this movie like i love that whole scene in like the chop shop or whatever it is like there's so much shit going on there and like oh i have to mention uh so johnny wong is like a fine bad guy he's the main bad guy but i always like in most action movies there's always like the the number one henchman who i feel like steals the most of the scenes that is definitely Philip Chung as Mad Dog is like one of my favorite all time action movie henchmen. <laughs> yeah. So so Philip, it's actually Philip Kwok. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's OK. <laughs> You're fine. So speaking of five element ninjas going all the way back, that is a spinoff of the Venom mob movies. Philip Kwok is Hong Kong. He's a Hong Kong legend. Because he was part of the Venom Mob, which was this group of martial arts actors who were in a bunch of Shaw Brothers movies. Uh, But they kind of became a unit with the movie Five Deadly Venoms and then were in a series of movies together uh, from then on out. Uh, And then he transitioned in the 80s when more modern gun type action started becoming. He kind of transitioned into that. He's a Hong Kong legend. 
he's so good as Mad Dog. Um, <laughs> and, and I love that Mad Dog is... He's such a woo villain, right? Yeah. Because he's he's the noble killer, mm-hmm. uh, and and I love I I am a big fan of Anthony Wong. He's one of my favorite Hong Kong actors. He's the one that plays Johnny Wong, but he is full crazy in this movie, uh, and he's such a uh, a an a reprehensibly evil guy. And, and yeah. Wu is always fascinated with that. Right. Cause we even get that. We get that in the killer. Cause we get, uh, Xing Fuyan's character is the big bad guy. He's this new triad who has no honor and no code. And then you've got like Chow Yun fat and, and his friend who are this old breed to have a code. And it's the same thing in this Anthony Wong. He's the new triad. He's got no honor. He's got no code. Mm-hmm. And mad dog very clearly has a code. And and Wu loves that. Like that is one of his favorite go tos. Uh, <laughs> and just again, the the eye patch and and I mean, come on. As cool as Chow Yun Fat is in this movie, nothing in this movie is cooler than Mad Dog lighting his cigarette uh, <laughs> with the on the burning car. The car's on fire, and he just leans over and lights his cigarette. Yes. Like, Oh, coolest thing you've ever seen. That was what I was going to mention specifically. <laughs> I was about to say that. Like, it's I'm talking about John Wayne people making people look cool. That's one of the coolest things. Such a small thing. He just like cigarette in his mouth, leans over to this fire in this car that's burning, and just lights a cigarette. And like, I remember the trailer for Hardball is great. Like, if you have like two or three minutes, watch the trailer. You'll want to see it because it's so many great shots. I remember that shot being the trailer, and I somehow saw the trailer before I see the movie, and I was like. That stuck out of my mind, how cool that image was of Mad Dog just leaning over and lighting that cigarette with the fire from a car. Like, just so badass. Um, yeah, I mean, that's he's definitely a John Woo type of guy because he has his code of honor. And uh, it comes comes into play in the end in the hospital. Um, so, yeah, no, he's he's great. Um, man, I yeah, I feel like we've gone on for so long. <laughs> I hope I didn't hold you for too long, but um, we could start wrapping up. I had two last things I want to ask you about. Um because I remember a long time ago we talked about this. We both, I think, talked about how we wrote John Flew-influenced scripts. <laughs> do you remember this conversation? <laughs> I do remember this conversation. Uh, I am prepared I, to have this conversation. Well, <laughs> we don't have to go into that much detail. I was going to be very brief. I wrote one that was terrible, and it was called Cops and Robbers, and it was about two brothers. <laughs> one was a cop, one was a criminal, and their dad was all a cop. And it was like the two of them were on opposite sides of the law and like all this back and forth. Um I just remember you had a much cooler title than I did. That's all I remember. <laughs> so, yeah. So mine was, and, and it wasn't even so much necessarily the title. It was the tagline <laughs> because I came up with the tagline kind of with the title before I even wrote the script. I sort of Corman style reverse engineered it. Uh, the title of the movie was blood because the two main characters are brothers. And so the title was blood. And then the tagline was nothing runs thicker. Oh, and yes. <laughs> uh, and so I had even like I had not written the full script, but had essentially written a treatment, but had also cast in my head that it was going to be Nicolas Cage and Keanu Reeves. Oh, man, going to play the brothers <laughs> and Nicolas Cage was going to be this sort of badass special forces guy. And the movie's going to open with him as we think getting killed. 
and Keanu, being his younger brother, wants to live in his brother's footsteps. He goes into the special forces. He gets trained. He becomes badass special forces guy. Gets sent on this mission to try and stop this terrorist group and finds out that actually his brother hadn't died. He had betrayed the country, switched sides to join this terrorist group, faked his death. And so now we've got Keanu having to stop Nick, uh, his his own brother, who's essentially trying to, you know, I don't even remember what <laughs> came up with. Right. <laughs> the idea being that, again, trying to really tie into that woo, good, bad, both sides of the same coin. Well, let's kick it up even farther and make them actual brothers. Um, so, yeah, I, I drew like out a poster and every I was a whole oh, big man. God, we need to go fund me to get this project off the ground. <laughs> I don't remember anything about mine. I mean, I remember like the basics, like I said, I remember I did want one of the guys, one of the brothers to be Jason Statham because I think Transporter had just come out and I thought to myself, Statham could do some John Woo action, I think. So I know he was one of my guys, but I can't remember the other guy was. <laughs> but yeah, well, this... <laughs> it, the biggest thing with mine is just I am sad that I never followed through and got it made because who doesn't want Nick Cage and Keanu Reeves playing brothers in a movie? Yeah, like that's... that is the thing to me that feels like that's the real missed opportunity right there. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, I want those two in a movie. <laughs> like, give get that to me as soon as possible. Like, have they been in a movie together ever? Uh, not that I can think. Of. I'm sure somebody will correct us. <laughs> yeah, for... someone will fact. I'll they, look that up later, but yeah. <laughs> they certainly haven't been in one where they've been like the co-leads, right? right? They do that, yeah, yeah. They've probably been something maybe 10 kind of near each other, but not, you know, interacting or something. Uh, yeah. No, that sounds incredible, and that's like the best tagline ever. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I had to mention that because we're both John, giant John Woo nerds, and we both tried to write scripts. So, okay, last thing I'll mention. Um, did you ever see a special that came on, I think, stars like the early mid two thousands called Art of Action, Martial Arts in the Movies. I feel like I've seen it, but I I couldn't tell you. Like I'm actually kind of I think even picturing the box art because it was like a blue cover with somebody doing a kick. I think, but I I <laughs> so I've seen it, but I don't remember anything about it. That sounds like you might be right. It, Sam Jackson hosts it. I don't know why exactly. I think I think Kill Bill is about to come out. And I think they were like, well, we need somebody related to like Tarantino's world. Get us Sam Jackson. He does a good job, though. He's a really good narrator. And it's it's a very good, like historical deep dive. I mean, I think you probably know a lot of the stuff, but um, they go into like sections. They have a whole section about Bruce Lee, whole section about Jackie Chan and a pretty nice little section about John Woo. And the two things I love about John Woo in that is that he talks about um, his childhood and like he grew up um, in poverty and like he got. Uh, Christian missionaries, I think, helped his family, which is where a lot of the Christian imagery, I think, comes from. Um, and he talked about how one of his favorite movies is The Wizard of Oz and Somewhere Over the Rainbow is one of his favorite songs, which is why he stuck it in um, Face Off when their apartment's getting attacked. And I just thought it was so funny that John Wood makes these crazy action movies, loves uh, Wizard of Oz and Somewhere Over the Rainbow. <laughs> but instead of yep. it's, a, it's a good Absolutely. special. It's on it's, yeah, it's on YouTube. It's a good little special. It's like an hour and a half. It's a good lesson on all kinds of Chinese Hong Kong cinema. Um, so, Mike, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much. We oh, can, we no, can... no, no, no. I, I do. Can I just throw out a couple of oh. other 
quick recommendations. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or about Wu. So most of these books are out of print, but you can find them uh, used for not terribly expensive. Uh, the two that I really want to recommend is one from Christopher Hurd called 10,000 Bullets, The Cinematic Journey of John Woo. That thing was like a Bible to me oh, in hmm. the late 90s, <laughs> circa 2000s. I read that thing probably four or five times. And then Kenneth Hall has written one called John Woo, the films where he goes through and analyzes all of John Woo's films. If you really want to do a deep dive on Woo, uh, I think both of those books are pretty essential. Nice. I need to read those. I definitely need to pick those up. So even if they're out of print, I might, uh, I might throw down for those. (laughs) Those sound pretty interesting. Um, uh, anything else you want to recommend? Um, just basically, uh, the stuff we've already talked about, I really, really do want to recommend Redcliffe, uh, which was distributed in the U S by Magnolia. So the blue ray is readily available. Make sure to get the international edition. Don't get the cut U S version. It, it clearly says, if you look it up on Amazon, it clearly says international edition. That is because Redcliffe was released as a two part movie in China um, and released as one movie here in the U S go with the, the full two part one uh, that, that is, I think a woo movie that I wish more people talked about because I just think it's a, it's a, it's a towering cinematic accomplishment. So if, if I recommend anything this episode, it's watch Redcliffe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And if we didn't sell people on the killer and horrible after this, I don't know what would sell them. So I hope people will, if they haven't sought them out or maybe haven't seen them in a long time or something, I can't recommend these movies enough. We clearly both love them a lot. So, um, yeah, I'm just so excited after I cannot believe like 20 years ago or what 15, I was watching these movies and now I actually talk about them on a on a podcast. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> so very exciting for me. This was great, Mike. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you, man. Uh, it was so happy to do it. This was, I've been looking forward to doing this episode for a while. So, uh, me too. we talked about it a long time ago. So I'm glad we yeah. finally did it. But, um, yeah, if you don't have anything else, like I'll let you go ahead and just, uh, plug some stuff. People can find you and follow you and all that stuff. Yep, absolutely. You can find me uh, on my personal Twitter at Hibachi Justice or follow uh, the uh, Twitter feed for uh, the Adkins Undisputed podcast at Adkins Podcast. You can hear me on Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world where I'm going through with guests and Scott Adkins himself talking about his career and his movies. And then I occasionally do some uh, side episodes as well. I just did one a little while ago where I had Liam O'Donnell, the director of Skylines, come on. And we talked about our favorite part threes, uh, movie part threes. Uh, You can also follow the Dana Buckler Show at Dana Buckler Show on Twitter and hear that anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, That is the my home away from home. Dana Buckler is the guy that got me into podcasting. Uh, So please check us out there. Great. That's great stuff. And I I think most people listening to this would be following you. If not, they definitely should be and definitely checking out your work on all these podcasts. It's, it's really great stuff. I can't say enough good stuff about the work that you do. So, um, to finish up for us, I guess I will just say, uh, you can, uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at film feast pod. You can follow me on Twitter at maplet 87. Uh, and you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at just film feast, all one word. Uh, and that is it for us this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.